turn on the Jets film room. Sorry, Joe Blewett. We over pursues needs to dive at the ankles, which he does sometimes too much. Providing you comprehensive film study on the New York Jets. Howell sees that the playside gaps are clogged up. That was a really impressive play right there. That's, that's like a little stuff you see on film. Turn on the Jets film room is now in session. And welcome to the third edition of Turn on the Jets film room. We're going to be joined uh, by a very special guest who actually joined us for our first episode. We have some technical difficulties. Uh, but we're going to be taking a deep dive into the Jets' three quarterbacks. The last two episodes were more of recapping the offseason and top 25, so it wasn't as deep of dives into film. But this, this show is going to be two hours of uh, some deep dives into film. So uh, it's going to be really exciting. And we'll be talking with, like I said, the, our special guest, which is Mark Schofield uh, from Inside the Pylon. He's, he is locked on Patriots. He's great at breaking down games, talking about concepts, explaining terminology, um, and many, many more things. I highly recommend checking out his podcast. Like I said, Locked On Patriots, checking out his articles at Inside the Pylon. YouTube videos have been Inside the Pylon. I know a couple of you guys do videos for Inside the Pylon on YouTube, I believe. But uh, definitely make sure to check out Mark's. They're really insightful. Uh, and he, he speaks well and he writes really well. He helps you understand things. Um, he kind of breaks things down in a simple way. Uh, so it's really good for either a really advanced fan or a guy who's just a casual fan who wants to learn more about football. And he also has a book out there. Uh, 17 Drives, which is also really good. I actually have personally read it myself. Uh, and now he's involved with Matt Wallman. You do, you do a whole bunch of videos for different sites. Uh, for like, I think it was like a Steelers site the other day or something. I saw you do an article for us. So you're, you're everywhere, Mark. Joe, I'm, I'm everywhere the people will have me. Let's put it that way. And thanks again <laughs> for having me on, buddy. It's a pleasure to be with you. Looking forward to, to chatting some QBs here. Yeah, even though we already did it, but uh, we're just going to do it again. <laughs> Take two, man. Take two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um we'll just get it we'll just get it right into it i cut some things out because you know hackenberg and petty cut some of that stuff out some accounts so people know what it is um but let's start off with the end of the jets 2017 season and just the 2017 season in general uh, mccown played 12 games and he gets hurt you know early on in the in the week 14 game versus denver uh petty finishes the game in the last three weeks so obviously the offense struggled mightily um McCown was all right for the season 18 touchdowns nine or nine interceptions so he was he was decent uh one of his best years maybe other than Chicago when he played in there what was it 2013 or whatever that was uh and Petty was really bad Hack was on the bench so the Jets went into the offseason uh with a really gloomy quarterback situation with only uh Petty and Hack under contract even though you or Jets fans assumed that they would resign um you know McCown at some point but at, you know still at that time at the end of the season it was Petty and Hack under a contract and then they signed Teddy Bridgewater, uh, who signs for, you know, just $500,000 in guaranteed money. Uh, his base salary for 2018 is $5 million if he is on, if he is on the team. Uh, another 500000 in work workout bonuses, plus an additional $9 million in incentives stemming from playing time, you know, yards, touchdowns, all that stuff. So the deal has a maximum value of $15 million. But if he plays well and, and he plays all season, I don't think you know, fans are going to kill the Jets for giving. Uh, him $15 million, even though, you know, obviously we're not expecting him to start all season. He's kind of like a trade chip guy at this point, I think. Um, so, you know, overall, I guess, uh, Mark, what do you think about Bridgewater? Then we'll get into some of the, the Bridgewater, the Bridgewater sign, then we'll get into some of the film and some of the nitty gritty of his game. Well, I mean, I think at the outset, it's important to, and I think you did a good job of it there, Joe, outlining the, the context of the Bridgewater sign, because this is a player who 
as we all know, was coming off an injury which not only threatened his career, threatened his leg. I mean, this was a, a brutal sort of knee injury. There was concerns about him potentially losing the leg. But as you said, in terms of contract value, if he ends up hitting all those bonuses and costs the Jets $15 million a year, that's probably going to be a good thing for a couple of reasons because it means he'll have played and played well. And it means in a sense that there wasn't a need to rush Sam Darnold out on the field. Now we can go in different directions with Sam Darnold, whether he should play early, whether he shouldn't. I'm of the mind that young quarterbacks need some time to season and need to be handled right. And if, as we're seeing right now, Darnold's not even signed as of the time we're recording this. So he's not even in camp. So there's an issue there. And so you could see potentially a path where he's not ready to go and they need somebody to go. And if Bridgewater comes out and plays well, maybe he is the guy this year. And so I think it's a low-risk, high-reward type of contract. It makes a ton of sense for what the Jets want to do. Even if, even if Darnold was in camp, let's say rosiest type scenario, Josh McGowan can still be your starting quarterback. You can work Darnold in eventually. And if Bridgewater plays well, you can spin him. If he proves that he can still play in the National Football League, plays at a fairly high level over the first two preseason games, I think Jets fans would be overjoyed if Bridgewater then gets turned into something for a minor investment of $500,000 guaranteed. So I think it's a fantastic, smart signing from a number of different avenues, and it gives them a lot of options at the quarterback position this year. Yeah, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more in, in a little bit after some of the film about what you think the Jets could get for him. And, you know, fortunately right now for the Jets, and obviously we're going to talk about Darnold a little bit, but apparently Schefter just tweeted that the Jets are going to get a deal um, done with Darnold. And I guess we just, just touch on that now because, you know, you just mentioned it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that situation? You know, first three practices, I was there for two of them. Unfortunately, Saturday I had work. Uh, there were some there – was, there was reports just – of completely different things between offset language and then something about guaranteed money in the, in the fourth year or whatever like that. If, uh, if he got suspended or fined for performance enhancing drugs or for league fines, like a whole bunch of weird stuff, but regardless, I think it was petty from both sides. Uh, I think it was the agent a little bit trying to, um, you know, strengthen his stance in the future. Same thing with the jets. And it was, it was kind of stupid, but apparently he's going to be back at practice today. I don't know if you know too much about it, but, you know, one, just overall thoughts on if you do know much about it. And then two, like, do you think it affects him a lot um, in terms of, you know, fighting for that starting job? Well, I mean, at the outset, I think we're going to see more and more and more of this as in typical NFL fashion, the NFL seems to struggle with getting rules down that people can understand. And we're seeing this in a similar sense with Roquan Smith, the Bears linebacker, because, you know, there's some language in there in their contract, but the, the Bears want to be sort of protected if he gets suspended because of the new rules with respect to leading with your head, crown of the helmet type hits and things like that. And the player wants to have some protection from his side. It, it's similar, like you said, with the potential language about suspensions and things like that, and as well as guaranteed money, which yeah. is the big thing to look at when you look at contracts. Forget about top line dollar, forget about maximum value look at the guaranteed money because as we know these contracts aren't guaranteed and so if you're sam darnold and you're wanting to set yourself up for the next four years eight years less than your life you want as much guaranteed value as you can out of that first contract because you've got to protect yourself even though you believe in yourself as a player as an agent your job is to maximize that guy's contract and his earnings and so you want to maximize the guaranteed money because say he does bust. Worst case scenario, he's still got some guaranteed money in there to protect him for the eventual transition to a new career. Now, there might be a 1% chance of that happening, but your job as a player representative, as an agent, and I'm saying this as a lawyer that tried to become an yeah. agent, like yeah. that's your job. And so you can see where some of the contract language and trying to get maximized guaranteed value comes into play. Now, all of that being said, do I think this really sets Darnold back? 
It's a handful of practices. It's not like we're getting into week three of the preseason schedule where he hasn't seen any preseason game snaps. And now you're wondering, well, he's not going to see a lot in week three because that's when you're getting your top guys, your ones ready to go for week one of the regular season. And so then it's almost a lost preseason. He's missed a couple of practices. If he gets in there this afternoon, they'll get him up to speed pretty quickly. He should yeah. be ready to go and get live action snaps in the first preseason game. So I don't think it sets him back too far. And it's just a matter of now him getting, getting him up to speed. It also helps a little bit with McCown, I think, with him knowing the offense and things like that. He doesn't have to take a ton of snaps at practice, yeah. though. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll get the lion's share of uh, snaps next couple of days. It was just a little bit frustrating. We were talking about it a little bit before, just driving out to practice. It's like, it's like sometimes three, four hours of total commute. I wanted to see Darnold play, so it was a little bit frustrating. I wasn't really too worried oh, about it. But, um, it, you know, it is what it is. Stuff like that happens in the NFL. But let's go back to Bridgewater, who over the first three practices, I've done some Instagram lives. If people haven't you know, gone and checked that out. Uh, and Twitter, I've been updating people, but he's he looked he looked okay. He's missed some throws and things like that. But we're just gonna recap his 2015 game because obviously at this point right now he hasn't really played in in you know really almost like three years. So he's gonna be a little bit rusty at practice. We kind of expected that, but uh, from the 2015 tape and and even what we saw you know when he was at Louisville and in his, in his rookie year and things like that, we'll just talk about some of those strengths. And I think one of those strength one of those strengths Mark is is his uh, you know his touch and his smarts. And on this play we. We talked about it before. Um, he's gonna throw. He's gonna throw to the top of the screen right here. The guy who's just in the. He's he's uh, he's tighter than a normal you know receiver would be if he's if he's flanked out you know wide. Um, and Marcus Peters here. You know he he doesn't. He's not squeezing him. He's not getting uh, a shuffle in there, which he, he probably should because he doesn't have his hands on him to uh, hands on the wide receiver, which I believe is yeah, it's Diggs. He doesn't have his hands on him to look through him and play through the receiver. And Donald recognizes that he drops back and instead of throwing the ball. You know, here where Peters has a good position to to play the ball and potentially either get a deflection or interception, Donald notices his leverage. He's not looking back to the ball. He's not playing to the receiver, and he, and he throws the ball, um, you know, on the sideline and, and gives the receiver the ability to, to stop and, and make the reception without really much of a contest from Peters there. It is a little bit of a contest. It wasn't terrible. Um, but that's just a smart play, you know, instead of leading a receiver over the head where the cornerback uh, could, could play it, he throws a back shoulder. And uh, – Big show some late hands there too, where he's not he's not uh, tipping the the cornerback uh, off too much before he gets in position to make the catch. So nice play from Donald there. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like this play from Bridgewater. And what I like about I mean, it, there yeah, are a couple of things. Um, you get the single high safety look. So he, it's not mandatory that he freezes that safety in the middle of the field, but he does it anyway. That's going to be a long run for that free safety to get over to try to make a play on that. But that's something you've got to do anytime you're trying to throw that vertical route, you know, against the cover one single high type look. Yeah, cover three type look at now well, cover one cover three but it's a single high look so you've got to at least freeze that safety in the middle of the field and he does that with his first look right at the middle field right there then he comes hits the depth of his drop quick reset and throw there's no hesitation it's an anticipation throw because when he lets this go there's no separation really but he throws him open this is one of those moments as a quarterback where the guys aren't always going to be open. There's open and then there's NFL open. And NFL open is this play right here where, you know, the defenders step to step with them. You can't throw it downfield like you said, Joe. You've got to create an opportunity. And so he creates one by throwing this sort of back shoulder near the boundary, putting it where Diggs can get it, and where if the defensive back wants to make a play on the ball, he's going to have to go through Diggs. And as we know in today's NFL, that's in all likelihood a defensive pass interference penalty. So it's a smart play from the snap to the finish to the throw, and it's well executed by Bridgewater. You know about it. I, I think I might have been saying Donald that whole time. So we were just talking about Donald, but we are talking about Bridgewater. Um, yeah, and it, it's yeah. I would I would I would say this is a cover one. It's a little bit. Like, sometimes it's weird because 
you know, one corner on one side of the field will be playing, you know, with outside um, leverage, which would, which would mean it's a cover three if they are in this type of look with the middle of the field closed. And if they're playing with inside leverage and push them to the outside, it's usually cover one. But uh, I, w- I would say it's cover one. But regardless, yeah, he's NFL-type uh, throw, throwing his receiver open, giving him a, a chance to make a play. And it is Stephon Diggs, so he's obviously – um, one of the best, you know, receivers in the NFL now. And I, at that point, he, he wasn't, but he's still a really good receiver. Uh, even at that point, he was up and coming. Um, and another, you know, strength of, of Bridgewater's is his, um, is his smarts. And we'll talk a little bit about, like, you know, middle of the field closed, middle of the field open. That was a middle of the field closed look, um, which is that cover one, because obviously there's a safe thread in the middle of the field. That's why it's closed. Um, and on this play, we just talked about some of the some of the accuracy and knowing where to put the ball, and he actually has struggled with accuracy a little bit in practice. Like I said, it's it's you. Uh, we, we just got, got back into practice, and he's a little bit rusty at this point. But uh, middle of the field open type of look that you know from the from the other angle that I saw, and this is just a smart play. It's nothing it's nothing crazy, but it's the ability to recognize that number fifty seven here dropping back in his hook zone, and instead of reading uh, twelve, I think it was Charles Johnson. I think that's his yeah. number. Uh, who's actually playing decently for the Jets, and he's in training camp right now with them. He's like seventh or eighth guy they have on the roster um, in that spot. But instead of leading the the receiver, he's throwing in a spot, you know, where uh, the receiver has to, you know, stop a little bit. But at the same time, it's he's he's putting it in a position where the linebacker can't make a play. So, um, Mark, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is a nice good read here. Like you said, Joe, it's a middle field open. We've got the two high safety looks. So one of the sweet spots to throw against is between the safeties, you know, and throwing a post route between those safeties and their cover two look is the right read. The issue here, as you say, is you've got that linebacker 57. He's dropping to try to try to get into the lane there to take away that post route. He's supposed to give some help to the safeties in that sort of soft spot in that intermediate middle of the field. As you see that linebacker sort of drop and open his hips to that route, you've got to pull the trigger earlier as a quarterback than you might want to because the more depth that linebacker gets and the longer you wait, it's more of a chance of that linebacker to interrupt that throw. And so he pulls the trigger quickly. Where he puts it, it looks at first glance like this is a poor throw because it's kind of makes him stop and throttle down. But when you're throwing over the middle, sometimes you want to do that. You want to get your guy to sort of throttle down in a position where he's sort of able to protect himself. That's that sort of expression blanket in front of a throw as a quarterback because what you want to do is give your guy a chance to sort of get himself into a position where he's protected he doesn't take a big shot a big hit and perhaps either get injured or you know turn the ball over or something like that so again another heady sort of throw from Bridgewater on that play yeah no doubt about it um that's why people like you know when you're looking on broadcast you really have to take the look at the film to know if it's a bad player or smart or you know uh, or a smart play because you might look at that and like you said, oh, it's behind him. What is he doing there? But if you look at the film, if he throws that in the right spot, it might be an interception or, or a pass deflection. So um, it's it's a, it's a good play. And this is another this is another one you're showing some smarts um, where he, he he drops back. And this is Bridgewater. And this is the, one of those episodes where if you're not, you know, obviously the podcast app you can find us, but you're gonna want to watch on YouTube. It's a lot of film type, type stuff. So unless you want to listen to it, uh, that's great. But it's I definitely recommend. Uh, Checking out, you know, me and Mark breaking down some from some film here of Bridgewater and this on this play, he just drops back. He's reading the middle of the field. Um, he looks to his right. He's he's looking for somewhere to throw, and he starts to feel the the pressure around him. And I, I don't even, I'm not even necessarily sure if he knows that this outside linebacker is right behind him, um, but he feels the pressure around him. He looks to the to the swing route out to the out to the left and just releases the ball before he even 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 like gets to check if it's open. He knows it's going to be open. Um, and he hits and he hits his uh, his running back there because, like I said, that pressure is coming. And uh, the the running back drops it, and it, yeah, maybe it's a little it is a little bit high, 
but at the same time, he's under pressure and he got the ball out where the receiver or the running back, or actually, yeah, it was a running back, uh, should have caught it there. So another smart play, I think. Yeah, and this is a great example of sort of that feel for the pocket that quarterbacks either have or they don't. And you know, you see a lot of quarterbacks in this situation that might not just feel that backside pressure and they end up taking a sack here. But Bridgewater does a great job here. He reads middle of the field, he checks his progressions, goes from middle of the field to left, then to right, then back to where his outlet is, which is an important thing for any quarterback to know. You've got to know where your checkdown is because you might have to move, you might have to slide, you might have to adjust yourself in the pocket, and Bridgewater does that here but you've got to know exactly where that route is where so as we see here if you've got pressure and you're under duress when you've got to make that quick snap throw you know exactly where to put the ball regardless of where you are in the pocket so even though this falls incomplete if I'm grading this if I'm evaluating this as you know whether it's a college quarterback an NFL quarterback I still look at this as a positive play from the quarterback himself because you could take a sack you could get a strip sack in this situation you could get a big hit and get hurt but he feels that backside pressure and gets it out this is that was a good play yeah, that's, that's what some people talk about like when you hear like, you know, scouting reports, like that's that internal clock that people um, talk about. You know, you, you have you know, three seconds, sometimes even two seconds, whatever it may be, uh, to get rid of that ball and you start feeling that pressure, get it down to your check down uh, or where you know it's going to be open, you know, like swing route, hitch, whatever, you know, the, the shorter type stuff where you know it's going to be open. That's like based on pre-snap reads and post-snap reads. Uh, so – Another good play there, and then this is another play. Uh, we talked about his smarts, we talked about his accuracy. He's also a leader, which is also great for, for Sam Darnold, I believe. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, this is just an example of his accuracy, and you you broke this down really well the last time we talked about it. So you can just uh, – I'll play it first. You kind of – you can remember what we were talking about. Um, but if you want to just run through this. Yeah, through and, this play, and Joe, I love this play from, from Bridgewater here. And, you know, let's not forget, when you're evaluating quarterbacks, one of the things you've got to remember is at other positions, it's more of a snap-to-finish type evaluation. Like if you're a wide receiver, like, you know, you watch the play sort of unfold as you start your route and things like that. But as a quarterback, you know, the evaluation process, looking at these guys, starts pre-snap. And here, you know, pre-snap, Chicago's showing blitz. They sugar the A-gaps. So they've got guys in both A-gaps looking like they're going to bring pressure. And they do that, but then they drop the outside linebacker, 97, into this sort of hook zone. And Bridgewater's throwing this crossing route. And even though he's pressured, he does what I think is such a smart thing is he waits until the last possible second because he wants to throw it as he's dropping back. He wants to throw this crosser to 17 right about here. He wants to let it go. He knows it's open. But he, with 97 there, he has to wait an extra step longer to give that crossing route enough time to sort of cross the face of 97 because he knows 97 is not running with 17. So the more he waits, the more 17 is going to be open. But if he throws it early, 97 can make a play on the ball. But the longer he waits, even though he's got 50 bearing down on him, gives 17 a chance to clear. He puts it high to the outside where 97 can't go get it. Mm-hmm. And it turns this simple little drag route into a big gain because now his receivers get, gets the ball in a good spot, in space, running away from a defender that's covering him in man coverage. It's just a subtle little thing, but it makes it a big play. Yeah, and you mentioned the last time that little, um, like, dri- not drift, but that little shuffle in the pocket right there yeah. to, to give himself more time for number 50, who's going to hit him. So he, that's ability to keep your eyes down the field and there's pressure, ability to take a hit. Uh, and I believe 97 is uh, McPhee. Uh, yeah. yeah, McPhee from uh, – I, I forget where he came from. Did he come from the Ravens before the Bears? I think so, yeah. Yeah, um, but, like, yeah, like you said, and even, if, even, if not, even if McPhee doesn't make a, a play on this ball where it's a deflection or a um, – 
interception, it's maybe he lights up the receiver where yeah. he's not leading receiver to get to get lit up. And at the same time, he gains another, you know, let's say almost 10 yards just because of that, or a little bit right. less than 10 yards because of that. So that's, that's another smart play from Bridgewater. And, we yeah, see- and this is you know, one of those like blink moments where, you know, you blink, you give it that extra little split second and it makes mm-hmm. it so much of a difference. And, you know, as, as a quarterback, sometimes I like it to, you know, a boxer in the ring where you've got to, make enough space, create enough space to either get off a punch, whether it's sliding with your feet and moving with your feet or ducking and weaving, similar to a quarterback. You've got to sometimes create just enough space to get that throw off at the right moment to make a big play. Yeah, and that's why, like, people say the game, uh, NFL is a game of inches, and it's and it's really is. That's why it's just so fun to watch. It's better than any TV, better than any drama you watch because there's so many things that can happen, so many moving pieces. It's like a chess game in high speed with people laying each other out. It's it's, it's fantastic. I really love it. So, uh, but yeah, so it doesn't he doesn't um, in this play that I'm going to bring up, he doesn't force the ball, uh, which is it's another it's another nice play. This is a cover three buzz look. Uh, and it's again, and this is where I talked about that. He's not like a special player. And you went over this well, you know, last time too, um, where you talked about some, some depth of the linebackers. I believe you talked about it last time, but, uh, right here he's, he, and, and it's because of that pressure where he has to step in the up, up in the pocket where he's not hitting this, uh, receiver on, let's just, let's just call it a, a, a post over the middle. Um, it's like a switch, it's a switch, uh, switch combination. Yes. Like a switch divide almost actually. Um, and he can't. He's he's not going to hit this post over the middle. Maybe like an Aaron Rodgers, where he steps up into the pocket and floats it over the middle here. Uh, it would be hard with that pressure. But this is just kind of an example. He's not like a special type of player, but he's a safe type of player. Where maybe he doesn't have the the arm strength to make this throw or the ability to make this throw. But instead of making that throw over the middle to the post, he steps up in the pocket. He's avoiding the the pressure from the outside, and he and he throws the ball down uh, into the you know into the flat uh, to his receiver, who who picks up you know a decent amount of yardage. So. Uh, Decent or a good player, just not a special type of player, but uh, run me through this play. Yeah, and, you know, at the outset, you got to, like you said, cover three buzz where that safety drops down sort of in the middle of the field plan, that intermediate zone. And, you know, if he's not pressured here, you would like to see him climb and sort of take advantage of that coverage where you've got that middle of the field safety dropping deep. You can probably hit that post route in, say, around the 43-yard line to the you know 35-yard line to the 40-yard line in that area between the hash marks. But he does get pressured. You can see he's looking at that post route before he starts to climb. And at this point, moving almost parallel to that post route towards that left sideline, then you're not making that throw. Maybe Aaron Rodgers can make that throw, but not too many people are. Your best bet at that point is to play the numbers advantage, which you have here, which is run it back in the flat. You've got this, you know, snag route that's working back in the scramble drill against one defender. He gets it out to his running back to see if he can make a play. He makes one move, makes the first guy miss, and now you get it down into where it's at least a decision time because it's this comes on thirty nine, you know, but he gets it down into a fourth and one situation at the forty plus forty one yard line, and that's not bad when you get flushed in this situation. You know, you could have taken a sack and then you have to punt. At least here, you know, now they've got a decision where maybe they can go for it. You know, maybe they fake a punt. Maybe they just take the field goal. But you've done something positive for your team. And so while it's not the ideal result, yeah. because of the pressure, he has to make a decision. He makes a decision. And that gives himself, a co- his offensive coaches and his head coach, a chance to make a fourth down call. 
Yeah, exactly. And even if it is just a punt or a field goal, the punt's a lot easier. They can just, you know, lob it up there and, uh, you know, obviously be able, to, be able to cover it really quickly. But, yeah, it's a, like I said, it's just not special, it's, but it's good. It's, it's smart. He's, he's not a quarterback who's going to force the ball. And like you said, moving, like, parallel to the sideline, he's not going to be able to make that throw. He just doesn't have the, the, uh, the ability to. But, you know, that's a good play. Uh, I'm not going to bring up, you know, examples of everything. We'll go through one more strength of his and we'll move on. Uh, but he plays well in the pocket. We already showed that a little bit. Ability to throw on the run. He leads his wide receivers away from hit, hits, which is also good. I think he has a pretty smooth drop back. He can run. Uh, we've seen him scramble many times over his career. Uh, he's patient going through reads. Then another thing um, that's important that I, you know, I, I put out, I, I took out of this, but he sell, he sells play action well. Um, and Mark, what do you think? You know, why do you think that it's important to uh, say, sell play action? I think it's pretty obvious, but you know, I guess you can just elaborate on it a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple of things for it. And, you know, there have been studies, you know, a lot of the, you know, people that look at analytics and they look at the numbers, you know, they would tell you that you don't need a successful run game to be effective at play action. You look at teams like Washington, for example, you look at their, you know, DVOA on passing plays for with play action versus without. And they were one of the teams that was at the best in terms of improving your success, your chances of a successful passing play when they use play action, even though their run game wasn't anything to write home about. As long as you can use your, you know, make those defenders think that the run is coming, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, selling it up front or the quarterback doing a great job of selling those fakes, whether it's, you know, handing in their really long at the mesh point with the running back, really sort of using the ball handling skills to sell that fake, or whether it's, you know, just doing the other things, you know, to sell those linebackers and those safety players, those defensive backs on it, that's going to give you the advantage you need. It's not so much how well your team runs the ball, but how well you carry out these fakes. And then when you consider the fact that you're going to look at more and more teams using RPO type concepts, where you're going to have that mesh point in the backfield to try to further sell those types of looks on those second level defenders, you know, look no further than Super Bowl 52. I mean, so many RPO type plays where it was potentially an RPO or was play action. Either way, you get those second level defenders thinking that gives you opportunities in the pass game. Yeah, and even if it's just you know a linebacker in a hook zone for the ability to, for a for a you know a, um, a dig to get be open behind it, but in front of the uh, safeties, if it just pulls them up a little bit for that split second, you're able to fire it in there because you know. When, uh, some windows in the NFL are, are a couple feet or even a couple inches at times. So inches. Yeah, it is. So it's it's important. And this is the last play we'll talk about some of his um, ability. And I remember you really liked this play. And it's another play where he, he's dropping back and there's a receiver on the top of the screen uh, who's just running. He's, he's running a – I'll call it a stop because he's not really working back to the ball. Uh, we talked about that a little bit too, like uh, differentiating between stops and curls and uh, whip routes and pivot routes and things like that. But I'll just call it a stop for now. I don't know if that's everybody's ter- terminology. But, again, uh, he's throwing the ball before the receiver turns around. Uh, the cornerback is, is, like, stacking him here where he's not, like, inside of his hip. He's not playing trail. So, you know, he, he has the ability to throw it behind um, him at the first down marker. Um, and that's exactly what he does. He throws the ball perfect timing here. So. Yeah, I mean, this is a simple sticks concept. And, you know, all that really is is if you grew up playing football on the street in your neighborhood and first downs with the telephone poles like I did, it was everybody go to the telephone next telephone pole and turn around. That's all this is. And the the key to this play isn't so much the route, but it's the timing. Because if he waits a second longer, this pass is getting broken up. But because he releases it so the, the throw is literally on the receiver when he turns around, that's what makes this such a hard route to cover. Now, they don't complete it here, but it's not on Bridgewater. The ball is out with perfect timing, good placement. It gets on the receiver right when he turns around, right at the sticks. All he has to do is make this catch, and you've got a first down. So this is stuff we were all doing as kids 
on an NFL field on a Sunday executed by the quarterback to perfection. Yeah, I believe that was, that's, that was uh, Mike Wallace who yeah. doesn't have the best hands. And now he's with uh, the Eagles, right? I believe he's with I the Eagles. I believe so. What are your thoughts on that, Mark? Is he going to be another Eagles-Patriots uh, Super Bowl again? I don't, that NFC is so tough. I mean, I, I could see eight teams coming out of the NFC right now, whereas you look at the AFC, it, I think Pittsburgh, New England, and Jacksonville are probably the three best teams with perhaps Tennessee as a dark horse. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's a royal rumble over there in, in the NFC. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, let's get into some – and that's, we talk about this too. I hope uh, the, the Jets are able to trade Bridgewater to the Jacksonville Jaguars and he can overthrow remember the, the, that. the Patriots. Yeah, hey. Uh, I know you you guys don't hate us, but just seeing you guys ever since I was a kid just dominate us every single week and maybe getting lucky to beat you guys every once in a while, I, I can't uh, I can't lie to you and say I'm not rooting for your guys' downfall. Um, but I mean, I get it all the time. Everywhere I go, everywhere I'm show, every show I'm on, people you know say stuff like that. So I'm I'm used to it. And the, the day is coming. The Brady Belichick window is ending. So don't worry, guys. That day is coming. Just be a little bit patient. Maybe it's two years from now. I'd say, but it's coming. Yeah, eventually. We've been waiting a, a while. Uh, I'll continue to success to you, and I hope you do well, but I, I, can't, I can't see Brady anymore. It just drives me crazy. Uh, <laughs> I understand, my friend. <laughs> but going to some, some of the weaknesses here, arm strength is an obvious weakness that, that we see. Uh, we broke out before. He's not, he's not an Aaron Rodgers type of player, which isn't necessarily a weakness. It's just not a, a strength. Uh, sometimes he hesitates to let go of the ball. Obviously, huge injury. He almost lost his leg in, in 2015. He hasn't played in two years. Uh, and then on this, you know, a couple plays that we're going to bring up, we see him uh, overthrow intermediate balls because of, of ripping it. Um, and on this play, we see some lack of arm strength, some hesitation versus cover three. Um, again, with cover three. Actually, no, it's a, it might be a cover – call it cover one, actually. Yeah, I uh, yeah. This is one. Yeah, I'll call it cover one. You know what happens a lot is I like I watch, you know, a lot of film, as, as do you, and I just kind of see it, don't really diagnose it, and just put it up in like a quick uh, – I save it quickly into the files. I don't really diagnose it. Yeah, it's cover one. Um, but again, here you see this uh, receiver. It's almost like a like a levels read after that after that uh, you know pivot route from the receiver on the bottom of the screen, um, and the receiver who's coming over on the let's just call it a deep over and over route. Um, he hesitates to throw the ball slightly here, and that results in the in the ball uh, getting is it intercepted? Yeah, it is intercepted. Yep. So if he was to throw the ball here. And I understand that linebackers right there, um, you know, playing playing on man on on, or actually it might be like an in and out type of coverage of that other linebacker uh, with the with the tight end. But regardless, that that linebacker is right there, uh, so he hesitates a little bit to throw the ball. You see that little extra like hitch there, that little extra uh, shuffle, and he doesn't throw the ball. He throws it late, which allows Peters to uh, drive on the ball and make the interception. Where if he was to throw the ball right like there. Yeah, he doesn't take that extra step in the pocket to step up. Then it's a completion, but you know he hesitates a little bit uh, because of that linebacker. But still, you you uh, you got to throw the ball earlier there. So, yeah, this is this is you know a hesitation mistake. And you know, as a quarterback, you've got to trust your eyes and trust your read of the coverage because if he's reading this as cover one, which I believe he should be, given how we're looking at it and how we've read it, you've got to trust that that linebacker, even though they're working, one's going to stay the whole defender, one's going to stay on the tight end. Once that pivot route, you know, that's by the tight end starts working towards the boundary, that that, you know, throw side linebacker is going to stay on that. So don't worry about him. So that extra hitch is because he's worried about that linebacker perhaps peeling off. That's not the guy to worry about. The guy you got to worry about peeling off is – 
Peters at the bottom of the screen who reads this, sees that he's going to throw that over route, peels off that vertical route he's covered and gets in the throwing lane. If he lets this go when he should before that extra double clutch, you've got a completion. It's just he waits too long. He doesn't trust his eyes and his own read of the coverage, and it gets him into trouble. Yeah, like I said, if he was the, if he was the throw it right there um, so instead of that extra step up, then it's then it's then it's a completion. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of the problems in this game. Even his his arms transferred up a little bit there, where the balls do uh, float up at at times. And um, you know, it's it is what it is. But then I'm bringing another play too of, of ripping the ball. And this is a good one because you're able to uh, see the, the back the back view of this, and you, we we see him overthrow. I believe it's a is it a receiver? Yeah, it's number. I don't know who it is, but he overthrows it regardless. Uh, Looks like a like a post route. Let's call it um, from from the left side of the screen. We can't we don't have the bird's eye view here because I wanted to break down the throwing motion. But we talked about this last time too, Mark. And it's really subtle, but I noticed this a lot when I was watching it when I was watching his his game. Not not too too much, but I definitely noticed it enough to to mark it down. And I saw some inaccuracy over the middle where I came into a thing. He's being really accurate. He's he I think he has like general accuracy, not pinpoint accuracy. Um, but we do see him overthrow some balls in the middle because of the, because of ripping the ball. And ripping the ball is the same thing that Carson Wentz had his issues with in his rookie year, where we see that disconnect between the, the lower body with the hips rotating just a, just a split second before the, the shoulders, which leads to your upper body having to do more of the work because you are disconnected. And you think like, oh, you know, well, your, your body's not in sync, so you'd underthrow the ball. But for whatever reason, you're ripping the ball. I guess you're kind of over, overcompensating with that arm. And then um, – uh, wider, uh, not uh, wide receivers. Uh, quarterbacks tend to overthrow because of that. So we see a little bit of the ripping, rip, uh, ripping of the ball there, Mark. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of like if you think about like when you're trying to play golf and you're just like, you know, it's the end of the round or whatever. All you want to do is blast one drive down the middle. You try almost too hard, and all you do is really just scuff the ball and it just goes not anywhere close to where you want it to. It's the same type of thing because when you sort of open up that lead hip, say for a right-handed quarterback, that left hip early, all you're really doing is transitioning yourself from a full body throw, which you want to be, you know, the right way to throw a football. And it's, it's amazing we're recording this, this on this day because I actually saw, speaking of Tom Brady, somebody took a screenshot of his wristband from practice over the weekend. And he had all these little throw and mechanical coaching points written down there, not plays. And one of them was torque. And what you want as a quarterback is full body torque where you have sort of the hip and then the chest rotation and then into the throwing arm all in one nice torque motion. Watch, for example, Cam Newton. Watch how he uses torque or oh, yeah. Mayfield sort of generate velocity. But if you disconnect that entire process, it throws everything off. And so here you see that hip come open first and then it's sort of it's up to the chest and the arm to try to generate the rest of that torque. It's not fluid. It like stops and starts. And that results in sort of that whip like action that we see there of the arm, because the, the arm is trying to compensate for all of the lack of momentum and the disconnect that's been created. And it just causes an overthrow. And you yeah. see it a lot with young quarterbacks. We see it with Mitch Trubisky, for example, that lead hip, even sometimes Donald, you got to watch that lead hip. It's so critical to the full body throw in motion that quarterbacks have to have to have. Yeah, and you mentioned this last time too, which I, I just remember now. We talked about his arm motion there too, how it's how it's slightly towards the side as well. Um, so I remember that was a good, that was a good point that you brought up too. So it's not the cleanest throwing motion as well, where you want that yeah you know, arm to basically be in an L. Yeah, he's he's very much. Uh, I, I don't want to say a full Bernie Kosar sidearm thrower, but he does do a lot where he drops that arm slot, which is good at times because 
sometimes you do need to work the ball around defenders, around pressure, but you can't do it all of the time. And here you see that, you know, slightly sidearm-esque arm slot. He drops that elbow a bit too, and it just results in a poor pass. Yeah, um, but let's move on from from uh, Bridgewater and his film, and we'll get into a little bit of McCown, then we'll obviously break down the big guy in, uh, in Sam Darnold to hopefully sign his contract. Now I haven't checked my phone because I have to give my full attention to to Mr. Schofield here. Um, but what is his outlook? Do you think he plays this season? If so, you know, how many games? Uh, and, do, you know, if – or do you think he gets traded and what do you think he gets traded for? Is it kind of like an, oh, a little bit of an overview? Um, look at – I think, again, if we talk about the ideal situation, you know, now that as we're recording, hopefully Darnold's on his way, you know, into the locker room to get his pads on. You know, I think, again, the ideal situation for Bridgewater is – he proves that he can still play in the National Football League and he still can play at a fairly decent enough level where he's, again, a solid backup, if not a guy that can start games for a team that either has an injury or has issues of their own at the quarterback position, like you mentioned. Maybe it's Jacksonville. And so I think ideally, you know, you move him, you know, probably for, you know, a day three type pick. You know, maybe if he's really lights out, maybe, you know, a, a round three pick, but that's probably pushing it a little much. But you know, I think a fourth round pick might be sort of the ideal situation, which, you know, for spending, you know, $500,000, you know, that's not too bad for a couple of weeks of work here for the New York Jets. Yeah, no doubt about it. And he struggled a little bit in, in camp, like I said, so maybe it's lessening a little bit. But if I had to say, I, I think like a fourth round pick would be fair, especially for such a low investment if you're able to recoup. Uh, a fourth round pick, obviously the Jets got rid of three seconds to trade up to get Donald. A fourth round pick is, is, is nothing to nothing to sneeze at. You know, it's uh, it's something. Um, yeah. You know, if you if you're a good drafting team, uh, fourth round pick is like once you're getting to like fifth, sixth, seventh, that's like okay. I hope they make the roster at, at that right. point. Fourth is like okay. You know, I want this guy to at least be like a solid like role player, even if he's a backup who's a solid role player, maybe like a a third string safety or a pass rush specialist type of guy who only comes in on third and longs, things like that. Um, but let's move on from, from, uh, Bridge and the only thing about Bridgewater actually that I wanted to mention was just in terms of his stats with, uh, 2015. And we mentioned this last time. I don't think he was a great fit for the offense when, he, uh, in which he was in, in 2015 under, um, I'm forgetting, the, I'm forgetting his name now. The, uh, the coach, North Turner. yeah, old coach from the chargers, uh, yeah. because he ran an air Corral system and air Corral is more like, you know, five to seven step drops, deep, uh, concepts over, over the middle, it be like a, a crease or a mills. I'm not, uh, you know, concepts that you need to take you know five to seven step drops to hit one they didn't have a strong offensive line in 2015 and, and Bridgewater's getting hit consistently and two he doesn't have the arm strength to really rip the yeah. ball in there to deep uh and, you know deeper down the field 25 30 yards down the field so I, I think he struggled a little bit because of that and I didn't think it made sense uh it's a vertical stretch offense and and he wasn't a fit for that so that's the last uh I guess you know kind of tidbit about about uh Bridgewater so yeah, no, I think that's exactly right, Joe. He was very much miscast in that sort of Air Coriel type offense, which I think, you know, what we're going to see him in this year, you know, sort of this, you know, West Coast slash area type offense that was, you know, used a little bit last year under Morton. Bates has said he's going to use a lot more of that as well. Yeah. You know, even though Bates is more your traditional West Coast guy, I think it's a much better fit, you know, for what Ted Bridgewater does as a quarterback. Yeah, okay, so getting into McCown, I'm not going to spend too much time on McCown because people know what he is. He's 39 years old. I'm sure people want to hear more about Bridgewater and Donald. Uh, but they, after they signed Bridgewater for that contract, they signed back McCown for $10 million, which is fully guaranteed. Um, you know, 2017, he had, a, he had a solid year, like I said, 13 games, 67.3 completion percentage, almost 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns, nine interceptions, uh, five rushing touchdowns at four fumbles. 
Um, he's better than guys like Hunley and Brissett and Kaiser and Hogan who were playing in the NFL last year. He's not a guy who fans like some Jets fans like, oh, he's, you know, low 20s. He's really good. No, he's still a journeyman quarterback who's 39 years old and is probably going to, if anything, come back down more to earth than last year, which is, like an, you know, an outlier type of year. Um, but overall, Mark, before we get into the tape, just overall thoughts on, on McCown in 2017 and then signing him back. You know, uh, the second question first, I think it was a smart move to sign him back because we're going to slowly start to see the transition of, you know, Josh McCown mm-hmm. from just being, you know, a quarterback to a quarterback coach, you know, and I think McCown has said and done all the right things so far. I mean, there was that tweet or, you know, where he you know, was kind of making fun of his age, using his daughter, talking about Sam Darnold. You know, he also yeah. said in an interview after they drafted Darnold that, look, if, you know, five years from now when I look back and on my time in the NFL and Sam Darnold's in the Pro Bowl, I've done my job. And so you do get the sense that he's eyeing his transition to the sidelines as a coach. And he sort of took on that role after he got hurt last year. And so I think he's in the right spot to serve as a mentor. All of that being said, I was very impressed studying him last year for the NFL 1000 Project. You know, as the quarterback scout over there, I was very impressed with how he ran Morton's offense. I was very impressed with some of the throws that he made, whether it was, you know, the more down, you know, underneath, you know, intermediate and short stuff that you expect from sort of a West Coast-ish type offense, to even some of the vertical stuff. He had a lot of, you know, trust in guys like Robbie Anderson downfield as well. And there was a career type season for him, and I came away pretty impressed with him. Yeah, and you broke this, this play down that, I, that I'm bringing up as well last time. I don't know if you necessarily remember the entire thing, but um, <clears throat> it's just like this is where you see a little bit of, of the veteran savviness where he sees uh, Rashad Jones, um, you know, showing that he's going to blitz. He's creeping towards the line of scrimmage here, and McCown recognizes. You can see him look at him. Uh, and then you mentioned last time that he, that he pulls the play action short a little bit here where he's not selling it, you know, completely because he knows he has to get the ball out. Uh, quickly and so you see you see him after he saw you know goes back to this play actually he checks the blitz that the blitzer is still there uh, which is a check mark he does um, and then he then he notices the the linebacker who's in that hook zone he, he's creeping up towards the line of scrimmage because he comes up for that play action so um, McCown knows that he has that uh, that's just deeper slant or slant to to Robbie Anderson uh, so take us through this play and your, and your thoughts. Yeah, and what I love about this play, Joe, is like you said, it's the process and speed here because he sees that safety cheating down like he's going to come. And once he sort of starts this play and you know checks to see that he is indeed coming, he just pulls that fake. He cuts it short. He doesn't fully sell this. And as we can see here, he doesn't really need to. He gets, still gets Alonzo cheating down towards the line of scrimmage with just that little bit of a fake. You know, So Alonzo bails, but he bails late. And that gives him the space on this throwing lane. He gets it out, even though he's under duress, perfect throw, you know, right at the face mask of Anderson on this in-breaking route. It's a great example of process and speed of the quarterback position where, you know, he knows the blitz is coming. He, he believes it's coming. He confirms it. He cuts the thing short, you know, speeds up his process to make the play. Yeah, um, and that's something the, the he's, he's pretty good uh, pre-snap. But post-snap is, is when I personally see him struggle when the defense is really, you know, tricking him when it's like a cover three cloud right. where they're showing cover two or cover four. With that, that, that's, that, uh, that processing speed that you're talking about, post-snap sometimes it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's a little bit slow. But this is, this is another play where you, where you see him uh, reading the defense. He notices it's, it's middle of the field closed, and we both know middle of the field closed – or middle field closed is cover uh, one, cover two. I mean, cover three, sorry. And then middle of the field open is, is cover uh, two, cover four. And he's checking that. He's, he's uh, motioning Robbie Anderson here. He notices that it's, that it's uh, zone coverage because nobody um, is, is following him over, you know, completely over to that, to that side. Uh, Rashad Jones does, you know, uh, come over there. But it's a, it's a zone look. He's just, he's just uh, 
you know, kind of coming over to the strength of the defense. He sees that. He checks the uh, middle of the field close safety. And uh, when he takes a snap and then he chucks it up to, to Anderson, who Anderson does drop this ball, but it is a perfect ball uh, or a pretty good ball. I'm not going to – maybe it is perfect, but maybe it could have been a little bit higher, let him a little bit farther. But it hits Robbie Anderson right, in, right basically right in the face and he, and he yeah. drops it. But, uh, yeah, it's just some like pre-snap recogniz- uh, recognizing the defense, checking it post-snap, and then uh, you know, just launching up a ball to Anderson. Yeah, and this is another example of where you don't need to really freeze that free safety in the middle of the field, but you do just enough. You know, There's no way he can get over and make a play on this. It's a nice rhythm throw, and it's a nice example of a quarterback. Sometimes you can't always know exactly where a guy's going to be, but you've got to trust in him and his route to get to the spot because he hits it and lets it fly. It puts it right where it needs to be. I mean, you could quibble over the placement a little bit, but that's a catchable yeah. ball. Yeah, no, at the end of the day, it hit Robbie Anderson right, right in the uh, – Basically, right, right in the face mask. So you need to, you know, you need to be able to catch that. Uh, some other things that are his strengths, you know, he isolates uh, one versus one and pre-snap. We just kind of saw that a little bit. Makes some checks at the line. Smart uh, ball placement. He he takes the yards that are given. Uh, but some of his weaknesses, you know, arm strength. He takes some sacks. Uh, pocket awareness at times. Struggles. He takes. I think there was a stat that came out the other day about how many sacks he took that were like unnecessary. But that's Pro Football Focus. So I like Pro Football Focus, but I don't completely rely on them because. Uh, just, you know, I'd rather watch the film myself. I'm sure you like that too, Mark. So um, Yeah, I mean, you know, Pro Football Focus is a nice tool, but it's just one of many tools that you should have. Like, I uh, rely on it to a certain extent, but I always trust my own eyes and other people's. So that's just yeah, the way I am. I like Pro Football Focus for uh, – for like, okay, he lined up here, right? Uh, or this, they ran this defense. But in terms of like, oh, this, these sacks, or this was a successful play because of this route, or this was a good route. Like, I would rather look at it for myself. But in terms of some of the weaknesses, are you know, arm, like I said, arm strength relies on one versus one too much. Uh, he waits to see guys open before he throws at times. Um, and and this is a play where where he he trusts his wide receiver a little bit too much. And there's a guy wide open uh, over the middle as he takes a snap from shotgun. It's a three by two set. Uh, you know, three by two set to the field side, and he takes the snap and he looks to his right, and he just again, this is like and we saw, I saw this a lot in film. I'm sure you did when you were studying it. This is one of the weak, like things he struggled with, where he just he chucked the ball up to Anderson a little bit too much at times, where there's other guys open. Um, the the cornerback has has good leverage, you know, good uh, positioning over the top. Uh, maybe you know if this was a back breaking route or something like that, or if he broke to the sideline, yeah, maybe you throw it. But the the corner has pretty good position. That's that's. Boye is 21 so I believe so yeah I think he, I think he's 21 but he has good position he's one of the best corners in the NFL and he, and he stacked them he's, he's over top of them uh, and he just releases the ball and if you look to the to the top of the screen here with with curse in the slot uh curse gets open on a on a slant and he's and he's open he's he's as open as you're going to be in the NFL um and McCown instead of you know uh checking all of his um his receivers post snap he just throws the ball up to Anderson uh, because he believes Anderson can make a play, but you got to continue with your reads and, and see the guys open there. So. Yeah, and I remember when we watched this play the last time, we both kind of felt like he made his mind up pre-snap that, oh, I'm throwing this sort of slot seam here. And w- what's frustrating is not only do you have the slant from the slot on the right, but if you look at the top of the screen as well, you know, you get a vertical route that beats Jalen Ramsey, it looks like, and that's open too. And rather than throwing to one of those – you know, you try to throw this little slot seam against, you know, one of the game's better corners who, as you said, Joe, and he's exactly right. He, you know, he's in great position to make a play on this football. And, you know, you've got that safety rotated over. This isn't like throwing a, you know, a, a vertical route to a boundary receiver. Now when you throw it to the slot receiver, then you do have to do more to sort of influence that safety. And because, you know, he, you know, throws this a little bit late, 
it opens his eyes to it pretty quickly. You know, it allows that safety to come over and get into the you know mix as well. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great point too because if the receiver is is split out wide and he's near the sideline, top of the numbers or on the numbers, uh, you have a little bit more of an ability to just fire the ball in there. If, if it's a middle of, uh, of the field closed look, where you know that guy, that safety in the middle is going to have to travel over far uh, to make a play on the ball. Where if he is in the slot, like you said, that slot fade or, or just a seam route, um, the safety is in position uh, as long as he's in you know in his pr- uh, proper position, he's in position to to make a play there. So that, that's a, that's another great point by you. Um, there, so he has to do more uh, post snaps to, to work that if he does want to throw the ball there. Uh, so we see him struggle with that, uh, and this is another ball. We see him like there's play there's plays where he does he places he puts the ball in a good place. There's also plays like this where he does not um, where it, it's and it's just it, also Severian Jenkins. He's a wide ten and he's releasing off the line of scrimmage in a three point stance, and he and he's just running you know uh, if you want to call it a post, uh, he's running a post over the middle against uh, number twenty three on the. Uh, Buccaneers or deep slam, whatever you want to call it. Um, but if, if McCown was able to throw the ball and lead him properly, Austin Safarian Jenkins, this is most likely a touchdown, even though Austin Safarian Jenkins did have some drop problems and he was a little bit overrated by Jets fans. Um, if he leads him correctly here, he at least gives him a much better chance to make a play where he underthrows him and gives the uh, defensive back a, a chance to undercut it. And almost, uh, he almost gets an interception. He probably should have intercepted it, but he didn't. So. Yeah, and you know, looking at this play, one of the other things that I see here is he waits just a second too long to make this throw. You know, it's kind of the inverse of what we saw earlier from Teddy Bridgewater. You know, where he has to that little cross route where he has McPhee and sort of waiting in the hook zone. Here, you've got to trust that ASJ is going to get across the face of the safety, and you've got to really let it go, like right here. But he waits for him to really cross his face before letting the ball go. And that little delay allows some pressure to get to him, number one, so he can't fully step into it, and allows the safety to get into position where he can come under that and make a play. But if he trusts him to cross his face and releases this as more of an anticipation throw, he's got a better chance of completing it. Yeah, um, no doubt about it. And then some of the, we have one more weekend, so we'll get to Sam Darnold. Uh, we said post snapping the defense. And then he's also not the smartest QB at times where he'll, he, he will just like, you know, force the ball, which we kind of just saw. Uh, and that last play a little bit, but this is another example of him uh, not being able to, uh, or just kind of just not reading the defense post snap and not taking what's given to him. And we do, I believe this was yeah, second and long. It was like second and what, almost 20 mark right there. And this is another yeah. play, just him chucking the ball to, to Anderson and Grimes has great position. This is a cover four look. Uh, Grimes is going to match any, any vertical stem pass, you know, 10 to 12 yards of, of Anderson. Obviously it could be a little bit different in their playbook, but usually it's 10 to 12 yards of a vertical stem. They match it. Unless it's like a cover four Zara where they switch off if they're like, you know, if it's a switch concept. Uh, but regardless, basic cover four look here matches the uh, vertical stem of Anderson. He has great position over top. When, when Anderson makes his break on the post route, he's, he's almost, you know, four yards all, uh, on top of Anderson. So if you're going to throw it short, yeah, maybe to and let Anderson kind of find that soft spot and work back to the ball. But he throws the ball uh, leading Anderson, which gives Grimes, you know, he's in perfect position to make an interception on, on this play. And if you look to, towards uh, the bottom of the screen here, Austin Safarian Jenkins is, you know, he's, he's, he's not necessarily wide open, but he's, he's open right here. If he, throw, if he releases the ball right here on this out route, it's like, it's like a speed cut on the out route, um, then 
it's a completion because the, the safety is over top in that cover four, so he's not in great position to drive down on that, and he just releases the ball to Anderson, and it's an interception. So Yeah, and you know the frustrating thing watching this play is that you've got the right situation. You've got the right play call to attack this coverage because you know they're in this cover four look, and you know, that safety has to handle this out route. Because you know the corner is going to stay over the top of that post, so the safety is stuck mm-hmm. handling that out route. So as a quarterback, you've got that out route because you've got leverage on it because it's a much tougher route for that safety to cover because he's going to work towards the boundary and sort of drive under it. So if you make as McCown that sort of anticipation throw in the out, you're going to pick up ten yards and you're going to get yourself into at least a potentially manageable, you know, you know, it's second and twenty here, a manageable third and you know, ten, third and nine. But instead, you try to take this deep shot, it's covered. You know, you've this throw should go to that out route is that post out perfect way to attack cover four on that out route and he just makes the wrong decision here yeah so that's that's some of his struggles he's he there, there's a reason he's a journeyman quarterback um but overall we'll move on from them from those two guys and just mark if you can touch on what, like the importance of um not even the importance but just i guess like the jets overall uh you know quarterbacks room and and i, I honestly like listen i'll I'll, you know, crap on Lee and guys like that who I don't think are too good or buster screen or whatever. But in terms of like quarterback rooms, I think the Jets have one of the best quarterback rooms, not in terms of talent, but in terms of like uh, working together. And like you said, with uh, McCown, he's like that quarterback's coach. He said if Donald is successful in five years, he looks at this year as a success. Where like last year, I remember a lot of a lot of quarterbacks just get that like, oh, he's a veteran quarterback, so he wants to teach the young guys. But Fitzpatrick, we, we heard him get taught. He got asked about Hackenberg and, Petty, and he just said he's going to worry about himself or something like that. So just because they're a veteran quarterback doesn't mean they're going to coach dudes up. And both McCown and Bridgewater, from what we know, we don't we don't have an inside view. We're not in the locker room, but they seem like great, like two of the best possible mentors for Sam Donald. So, yeah, I mean, I think to your point, Joe, you know, it may not be the most talented quarterback room in the league, but in terms of the overall situation, it might be sort of the best setup in the sense because you do have a veteran quarterback who understands his role. And that's Josh McGowan understands his role with his team, understands his point, the point he's at in his career. You've got Teddy Bridgewater who's trying to redeem himself and show that he can still play in the National Football League. And if it's not with the Jets, it's somewhere else. And you've got a guy that many people thought was the top quarterback in this draft class and Sam Donald coming in. And so it's a nice setup where if you look around just the rest of this division, I mean, look at Buffalo. Would you rather have Buffalo's quarterback room where you've got two quarterbacks that are probably trying to still show that they can be starters in the National Football League, even though one threw five interceptions in his first NFL start last year and A.J. McCarron fell for A.J. McCarron reasons. And then you have, you know, Josh Allen, who might be the best quarterback on that team right now, but he's still the guy that people were looking at as a guy that needed a lot of work. And even though he was drafted seventh overall, there are people, myself included, who thought there's a long way for him to go. And so which quarterback run would you rather have just in that division? And so I think to your point, it's nicely set up for this team. It gives them a lot of options and they can play out a bunch of different scenarios, whether McCown stays and he's the guy, whether somehow Bridgewater shows that he can play and they trade him or they don't. And they, you know, move Sam Darnold along slowly, or Darnold somehow gets the pads on and shows that he's the best guy in the group, and they decide to start him early. And so a lot of different options for them. I think it sets up nicely for them for the next couple of seasons. Yeah, Mark, I know you do a ton of film work. Were you ever able to watch that Peterman game, or were you not able to? I watched that Peterman game. And what happened? Because I, I did not watch it. I, I, I didn't want to. But I, the, the problem with that is yeah. it was the worst sort of scenario for a rookie quarterback to make his debut because you go west, which is tougher, you know, East Coast teams to do anyway. 
And then you're going up against a defense is one of the better defenses in the AFC. You know, that Chargers team can get after people. I mean, they gave Brady and the Patriots some fits, you know, when they played in the regular season. And so it was just sort of a, a recipe waiting to happen. You know, Peterman's a guy that needed some season anyway. He's struggled at times making throws under pressure, and that's the worst type of environment for him to go into was that type of situation. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that Chargers team, I wonder if they're going to take that step because like, it's like been the last couple of years where you like, like expect them to take a little bit of a step up. Obviously, it's had a really big blow with Verrett. Uh, Verrett now they had a – he was a UDFA tight end, but they already lost Henry. Then they lost another tight end as well, you know, whether I think it was an Achilles or another knee injury. And so, yeah, every year, you know, people want the Chargers to sort of make that leap because I think we'd all yeah. like to see Phil Rivers make one last run. But it just seems like they just snake bit or something. I think like and and I think Rivers it, so far in his career or just like a general outlook of Rivers I think he's going to be a little bit overlooked when we talk about him when he retires because of some of the talent that is around his team and they always seem to have like 15 16 guys on IR who are pretty important pieces but they have a they have a pretty solid team Keenan Allen's one of the best receivers in the NFL uh, obviously with with Ingram and with Bosa they're they've almost if not the best pass rusher do in the NFL um, one of them so they're they're gonna, they're a pretty interesting team but you know, moving on from, I guess, like Peterman and, and moving on to some more, more bad quarterbacks, at least in my opinion, I think Josh Allen, from what I've seen so far, is struggling in Bill's camp as well, uh, even though you do see some of those really nice throws and his arm strength. But moving on, um, Petty, we're not going to break down any plays of him. I showed a play of him last week or two weeks ago. Fourth round pick in 2015, you know, Jets trade up a few picks to get him. Uh, we're not going to call it a failure. Neither of us did, uh, but – you know, fourth round pick, you trade up. You'd hope he'd be at least be like a decent backup. Unfortunately, he wasn't. So yeah, it kind of sucks. But we're not gonna kill the Jets for it. He couldn't read defenses. He was late on his delivery on simple con- uh, concepts. He was, he couldn't, he couldn't uh, execute simple simple concept in general. Uh, hesitation, poor footwork, inaccurate. I showed that play to you, uh, whatever we record two weeks ago, Mark. It was just embarrassing. I broke that down, uh, you know, for the for the people who listen a couple days ago, but. So we got – he was a failure, and then Hackenberg was also a failure. But just – I guess quickly on Petty, just overall thoughts. That, you know, you're going to kill Mac for it and all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, you know, Bryce Petty was a Baylor quarterback out of that Browse offensive system where threw a ton of hitch routes, a ton of slant routes, a ton of smoke screens, and a ton of goes. And it was going to be a leap for him to transition to a, an NFL-type offense. And he had to basically relearn a lot of the things that you do play in the position. And – It just didn't quite happen. I'm not going to dang him for that pick. The Hackenberg thing is a different situation, which I know we're going to get to. But as far as, you know, Petty in the fourth round not panning out, I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, go ahead on Hackenberg. That's that's next. I'm just going in chronological order of what happened. So they trade him for, you know, a a conditional seventh-round pick to the Raiders. He gets cut within six to seven days. uh, And he was a a huge bust. It's not like people ask, oh, well, is he worse than Vernon Golston? No, Vernon Golston never got a sack, and he was a sixth overall pick. Um, so he's not as big of a bust as, as um, Golston, but I asked you this last time, and I actually asked, I was with Glenn, uh, you know, Jet Nation, the other day at practice, we were talking, I don't know if there's ever been a quarterback in the second round who had never taken a snap for a team, especially, uh, you know, an early second round pick, so your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, everybody knew this was coming. I mean, whether it was big draft, whether it was small draft, whether it was draft Twitter, I mean, ask anybody, you know, the Hackenberg thing, his freshman year, okay, he looked like he could potentially become a first or second round NFL pick. Mm-hmm. But it fell apart from there. 
And he was a total tear down and tear down and rebuild from the ground up. You know, his footwork, his timing, his drops, his decision making, everything sort of fell to pieces under James Franklin. And I'm not saying it was James Franklin's fault. It was just the offense didn't seem to suit him. Hackenberg seemed to lose confidence, and it fell to pieces. And then to have him drafted in the second round, like if you were drafted where you draft Bryce Petty and it doesn't pan out, okay. Yeah. But you miss on a second round draft pick, you know, that's just sort of a recipe for disaster. And when you look at, you know, some of the other quarterbacks that were out there available at that time, I mean, they could have gone in a number of different directions from when they, you know, from when they took Christian Hackenberg. I mean, they took Hackenberg, you know, where did they take him? What was it? 50? 52, I think, something like that. Uh, 51. 50, okay, okay, so 51. they pick him at 51. And then some other quarterbacks that were available that were still on the board, I mean, you know, uh, Jacoby this, Brissett. Okay. You know, not that Jacoby Brissett was a great quarterback, but you know he started a number of games for the Patriots. He started last season for you know the Indianapolis Colts when they lost Andrew Luck, at yeah. least like a serviceable quarterback. I mean, you can make the argument that maybe you know I don't know Dak Prescott was still on the board. You know, you could have done that, but they went in a different direction, and so yeah. it's easy hindsight being what it is. But we all knew this was coming. We all knew this was going to end badly, and the Jets did it anyway. And so then you do that, yeah, you can dent a team, I think, for it. What was uh, – I don't know uh, Jacoby Brissett's stat line last year. Let's see. It was uh, 13 touchdowns, seven picks. I'm not going to just go you know, just on stat, but 13 touchdowns, seven picks is not, is not a bad year. And even if he's not a good quarterback, he still would be and a pretty solid backup. And he's still young too. So. And let's not forget, he was traded basically right before week one. And yeah. so he was coming into a situation where he didn't even know where he lived. He probably didn't know how to get to his, from his <laughs> yeah. apartment, you know, to Lucas Oil Stadium, and he's out there trying to start for a team whose playbook he doesn't know. Playbook, so, playbook he doesn't know, and also a, a team who, let's, let's be honest, they don't have the most offense. Not the best can, roster. Yeah, they not don't have the, the best, best talent, where if he was to go to, you know, whatever, Jacksonville or one of these teams, a crap load of talent on their team, and he could have played even better. And for his, you know, first year or no, that was his, his second year. Was that second year in the NFL or third? Yeah, his second year. Second year in the NFL, not yet, like you said, coming in in what late August, early September, um, because of that, because of that injury to to Andrew Luck and having to pick up an offense and play with not a lot of talent around him. He had a pretty good year. So looking at that guy, obviously Dak Prescott, it's a it's a little bit of a gut punch. But at this point, let's just hope that. Uh, well, I'll hope. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're going to hope. Uh, that Sam Donald is, is going to be a good quarterback, but that's what we're going to move up to now. Um, the team after they, you know, cut Petty, traded Hackenberg, which didn't get any, anything for. It is, I believe it was it was St. Patty's Day. Um, yeah, it was St. Patty's Day because I was actually, you know, I was in the police academy, so I didn't even hear about it until a little bit after it happened. I looked at my phone, it was like blown up with all this Twitter stuff and, you know, Jets did this and all, whatever, but uh, they, they trade you know, three second-round draft picks, two in 2017, one in 2018, to move up from six to three with the team we were just talking about with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, and people were saying that the trade was too much. It's crazy, but I don't think you can put a price on uh, moving up to get your franchise quarterback, especially a quarterback who the Jets did not expect to be there, who was the, the consensus number one quarterback until about that last week in the draft process, I would say. Um, and, and they got him. And listen, if he's a good quarterback in a year or two and he shows promise this year, I'm sure there's going to be no fans in 2022 saying, you know, remember the Jets traded those, those you know, three second-round draft picks? What the hell? So um, if it was a trade to get up, you know, to get like a guy like a Ward or a Chubb, then, yeah, I can understand being a little bit pissed about it. But you can't put a price on trading up for, you know, for a quarterback. And at that point in the draft, they, they must have liked three guys because, you know, at, at, at pick three, 
It must have been comfortable, like I said, three guys. You know, the first two guys go, you have the third guy. So they needed to do it. This, this, uh, Mike McCagney's job, Tubble's job rely uh, or depend on, you know, Donald being successful. This is their last, like, kind of hoorah, I believe. So if he's not successful, they're gone. They need to, you know, make uh, that trade and trade up to get a guy they wanted. If they wanted, you know, let's say it's, it's Mayfield, Darnold, um, and Rosen, uh, and you don't trade up to three and they're all, they're all gone by six and you have to take Allen or, or Lamar Jackson, they fail, then you didn't do all you can do to uh, potentially keep your job. So I, I thought it was necessary. Yeah, and, you know, let's look at the National Football League. It's, a, it's still a quarterback league right now. Now, that may change, but for right now, it's a quarterback-driven league. You either have your guy or you're in quarterback purgatory trying to get your guy. Or you either have to overpay in free agency or trade up and hope you hit in the draft. The Jets traded up to try to get in position to get their guy. They had probably identified the guys they would have been comfortable with at three. The guy that they perhaps wanted most happens to fall to them at three. And so – you know, whether it pans out or not, I think given what they knew at the time, given the roster at the time, given the options available to them at the time, I think even if he busts, you probably look back and you should at least look back and say they made the right move at the time. It just didn't pan out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just moving on to Donald so we can get a decent amount of his film done. Uh, I'll just read like a little thing that I wrote before uh, when I did his film breakdown and I said, uh, Donald was the best quarterback in the 2017 draft, at least in my opinion. Obviously, I know people are different. I don't know if – I don't think you had him at – I think you had him at three. Um, Mark, I definitely checked out your stuff before the yeah. draft because I, I respect your opinion a lot. But a lot of people had him at one. Some people had Baker Mayfield. Uh, him and Baker were close to me. and So was Rosen at, at that point too. But uh, best quarterback in the 2017 draft, I think he has a reachable ceiling of a, of a top five to ten quarterback if he fixes some um, little things with aggress- aggressiveness, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, he made some complex reads and, and plays with pure arm talent that some NFL quarterbacks can't make. He's only 21 years old, and he has only has a four you know full years playing the quarterback position. With that being said, Darnold does have some things to work on if he wants to be a top-notch quarterback, specifically mechanics, being too aggressive, and uh, being too aggressive with some of his throws, and, and fumble issue too. So we'll, we're going to talk about some of those things um right now but overall like i guess your thoughts on on donald and we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty yeah i mean you know he was quarterback three for me after rosen and then mayfield but that was more a reflection on how much i liked those guys and it wasn't really a knock on sam Darnold. and i think you're right about the sam Darnold ceiling and it's important to remember the context of where he is in his career as a quarterback he was a linebacker until his sophomore year in high school you know, he's a guy that's learning the position. He's young. If he starts week one, he would be the youngest quarterback in NFL history to start in terms of age. He'd be younger than there was Matthew Stafford and Drew Bledsoe were actually the two youngest guys right now. You know, he'd be starting shortly after he turns 21. And so there's room for him to grow. That being said, there are things, as you pointed out, Joe, that he does right now that other quarterbacks his age don't do, no. specifically throw it with anticipation, which is such a hard thing to learn. We just broke down two quarterbacks that sometimes struggle with doing that. Sam Darnold does it right now as a, as a college quarterback who's new to the position. That's something that it's hard to learn. Sometimes you never learn it, and you will always be a quarterback who has to more see it, throw it. Darnold's there right now, which is very impressive. Make some throws, make some reads, make some, does some things sort of in those scramble draw situations that other quarterbacks can't do. He will make mistakes. There are things he has to clean up, but he's got a really strong base right now to grow from as a quarterback. And that's why I think that, you know, whether he plays this year or next, it was still the right move to go get in a position to get this guy with the third overall pick. Yeah, no doubt. And like his, like you said, his ability to make um, anticipation throws and like I said, we'll get into some more of it, but the anticipation throws a throw from, from an uneven base or just no base at all. 
uh, backyard football type stuff, the ability to, to keep his eyes downfield, the ability to uh, move around in the pocket effectively, the ability to, to take a, a shot in the mouth uh, and still throw the ball, or even the ability, which is important for a quarterback to um, – you know, make a bad play and the next play come out and forget about it. That's, that's important. And this play uh, is some of that like backyard football, you know, find a way to make plays stuff. And I understand it's, it's, you know, only seven seconds left in the fourth quarter and that kind of need to play here. Uh, and I started recording a little bit late. That happens sometimes, but uh, it takes, takes a drop back, uh, sees some pressure. He scrambles out to the right, uh, running hard towards the sideline, uh, stops this, this defender in pursuit. Uh, gets juked out a little bit, not too much, but he gets juked out a little bit. Then another defender coming from uh, Sam Donald's blind side is coming. So he has to avoid him to step back out towards the sideline and then scramble around again and comes back to his original spot, sprinting in, in the backfield like 20 yards back uh, and then chucks the ball up and finds a receiver in, in the middle of the field. Unfortunately, they did lose this game, um, but still just an ability to, to make some plays. I'm not sure he's going to be able to do this in the NFL because the defenders, you know, take smarter angles. They're more athletic and things like that. But some of that backyard football stuff that I, that I liked when I saw when I watched the film. Yeah, and this is a situation where, look, time's running out in the fourth quarter. You're going to try to make a play for your team, and he, he keeps this, as live, this play alive as long as he can. You know, and it's a pretty impressive throw because he does end up, you know, working back towards his left as a right-handed quarterback trying to make this throw across his body towards the middle of the field. It's an impressive throw, an impressive play from an athletic profile. And it's what you want to see from your quarterback, trying to keep this play alive for your team. Yeah, and some, I'm going to bring up one more play of uh, him and his ability to just kind of like make some throws and some plays that you don't really see a lot of people uh, or a lot of quarterbacks make, especially for like a young age. Uh, and I, I said rope, perfect location. He takes, a, he takes a drop back. He's feeling some pressure. He steps up in the pocket. There's pressure coming from, um, you know, off of the right side. The right tackle gets beat here with a, with a rip. And the defender is bending the edge a little bit, and he's, he's you know trying to get to, to Donald. Obviously, that's his job. And Donald notices this, and he takes a step up in the pocket. But something that's impressive here—not just stepping up in the pocket, but he lessens his body there. That, that little dip down to to uh, lower his shoulders to make the defender miss—I think is really impressive. Um, and then there's more pressure in, in, from the interior, uh, where this you know defensive tackle sheds the block of number 77. So he has to then run out to the right right after he already avoided a, a tackle from the. Uh, outside linebacker defensive end and he throws a, uh, a ball that's in perfect location you know on the run from the defensive tackle or in pursuit and he throws the ball like I said with with fantastic and it's a little bit like the, the clarity isn't that great because it's not like a it's on a YouTube video to kind of rob it but again there's a defender under the uh he's who's kind of you know underneath and he throws it over like I said with perfect location so yeah and you know about this play there's a couple things to note one you know, you hear so many catchphrases during draft season about, oh, you know, you know, he's got the arm talent or he makes full field progression reads. Another one you hear is he keeps his eyes downfield. This is a great example of that because yeah. even though he has pressure off the edge here, sometimes you do see quarterbacks sort of drop their eyes and look more for an escape route and they forget about everything that's happening downfield in the passing game. That's not Donald here. You know, he keeps those eyes trained downfield looking for a receiver. You know, he finds him eventually. And then let's get to the throw because if he makes this throw from a clean pocket, people would come back to that, oh, there's the arm talent, that other phrase that I just mentioned. But he makes his throw on the move. Again, sure, he's rolling to his right, so it's an easier throw for a right-handed quarterback. But still, to make this throw on a rope, on the move, with pressure in your face after already evading pressure, like these are the kinds of things that you just can't teach you know, if you're a quarterback's coach or an offensive coordinator, this is stuff that he just knows how to do. And that's one of the reasons why he's got that upside because 
even with such inexperience to him, he can make plays like this. Yeah, there's actually and, – and another good thing about him and, and just I guess like his mechanics are obviously a problem, but there's actually a sports science with uh, whatever his name is, John Butchercraw, whatever, and they talk about some of his shoulder torque and all the power he generates from it. Uh, and we see some of that here. Like you said, he's not throwing from a good base. He's drifting out towards the sideline. There's a defender chasing him. He's an underneath defender. He has to throw the ball over who's, who's looping up in the air. Uh, throws it over him, but also throws it at perfect location on the sideline. So like that, that, that's that special ability um, that I see to make plays like that on, on the run that there's there's quarterbacks who just can't make that those right. throws in the NFL. Um, right. And keeping your eyes downfield is also important, and that's one of the biggest strengths of his game where as soon as he avoids that pressure, it, as soon as he seems where, where he has to step up or what lane he has to take to avoid pressure, he, he keeps his eyes downfield almost the entire time, other than like maybe a split second where he has to drop his eyes to – um, notice a defender or something like that, but it's just he, he's he's damn impressive. And this is another one too, Mark. Where he ta- he's taking the the, uh, the drop back from a from a gun set, and he sees the defender who's running free off off of the left side, and he takes a step up in the pocket to avoid it. But then once he takes a step up in the pocket to avoid it, he notice he notices there's some some traffic there. So then he has to uh, cut back out to the out, outside uh, to avoid the defender, which he does, which he shows some nice ability there, some nice like athleticism. He's not Lamar Jackson, but he does have some like, nice athleticism. So he avoids that. Um, and as he's drifting back in the pocket with no real, ba- he's drifting back towards the sideline and backwards, um, with no base, he's like throwing the ball as he's jumping away from this pressure. Uh, and he throws a ball with again, good location from this, from this, uh, they run a mesh concept over the middle. Um, and there's a, Receiver in the back. I can't tell what route he. Uh, it looks like a, a whip. It's a whip. It's yeah. it's a whip route. Or you know, if you want to call it, some people call it pivot. I call it a whip. A whip is just different from a pivot. If he if he breaks inside, um, and then comes it back out to the outside. But at least to me, um, he does that, and he throws a ball with again good location away from the defender and high. So. Yeah, no, another good athletic play. This is, you know, I talked earlier about, you know, the analogy of a boxer trying to create space to throw a punch, and here it is as a quarterback where, you know, all he does here is create enough space to get off a throw. And so then, again, similar to the play we just talked about, make that throw on the move with velocity and pretty good placement, another impressive play. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Um, yeah, I, I like it a lot. That's just like that pocket awareness, knowing where people are. Uh, knowing where he has to run, what he has to do to to uh, make the play here, and this is another this is another play. This is just another like creative thin air. And I remember we talked about this last time. This is uh, I put oh yeah, it started late. This is just a, a sale concept um, to the to the right side of the field. And uh, again, uh, he's he's this is this is an RPO. Uh, and he decides to keep to keep the ball. And again, he doesn't have a good base. He's rolling out to the right, and he throws the ball again with with great location like you said before that other throw um this would be impressive if he had a good base and and he was at a standstill but when you're rolling out to the right with no pressure around him but still um another good ball away from from the uh defensive back who's underneath in that in that curl the flat zone and then uh from the defender who is you know chasing down you know number six here so yeah, and what I love about this throw is that safety number one thinks he's got a pick because he doesn't think Donald can make this throw. So he cuts, tries to cut under it, thinking, oh, you know, he's going to underthrow this. But Donald gets it over his head, perfect placement on this corner route on the move. And it's a nice read, too, because sometimes, you know, when you're throwing that sort of corner combination, that smash combination here, you're taught to read that corner. The corner tries to split the difference a little bit, but doesn't get deep enough. So he makes a nice aggressive read here, perfect throw on the move. Yeah, and I, I highly recommend people. We're going to get into the uh, into the weaknesses in a little bit with uh, with Darnold, 
but I highly recommend going on to Inside the Pylon on YouTube and Mark breaks down, uh, what was it, his 13 interceptions that he had I last year? so, yeah. Yeah, 13 interceptions where you break it down play by play, and we're going to get into some of that Some of that now. I didn't put it in all the interceptions because I can't keep you for, for seven hours on this on this podcast. I know you're a very uh, busy dude, and like I said, Mark is one of the best. Uh, one, he's one of the best because he, his work is fantastic, and the fact that we recorded this for two and a half hours last time, it didn't record, and he's willing to come back again. It just shows what kind of person he is. So I highly recommend show, uh, checking out Mark. Appreciate that, my friend. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, and this is another throw, another crazy throw on the run. His ability to to throw the ball uh, on the run, which I think sometimes he's almost better throwing the ball on the run than he is with a good base. And again, he's rolling out to the right here. Another shotgun, another shotgun set. Looks like another RPO here as he's ridding um, this this linebacker. He decides to keep the ball as the linebacker is crashing down towards the towards the running back uh, t- towards the running back's angle, and he rolls out to the right. Uh, and again, just another perfect throw. Uh, well, maybe maybe it's a little bit long there, where maybe you wouldn't want the receiver to stretch out for it. But on the run here, 30 yards down the field, uh, over top of this defender who who's trailing this receiver, uh, and it completes it. So another just great throw on the run here. Yeah, and you know what I like about this play is you know as you get down the field, you're less and less concerned with precision ball placement. You really just care about general accuracy. And I mean here, he's releasing this on the run of this at the plus 30, throwed it to the goal line. So it's a 30-yard throw. You really just want to put it in a catchable spot, and that's exactly what he does. You don't concern yourself so much with putting in the exact right you know, shoulder or hip or number. And another impressive throw, it's what's interesting, I'm reminded as we watch some of his throws on the move, we'll get into the mechanical stuff. Yeah. But it seems like his mechanics are almost better when he's on the move, which is almost sort of counterintuitive in a sense because you figure if you're in the pocket, you know, you're going to be, you know, nice, precise mechanically. But when he's on the move, you almost see less of that dip to his throw in motion. And as you mentioned, that sports science thing, he's got a pretty quick release even with that dip to it. So he almost works itself out. But when he's on the move, it almost seems like his mechanics are cleaner. Yeah, they talk about uh, on that sports hunt, it's interesting that his, that his shoulders and his upper body separate from his hips, which allows him to generate a lot of, a lot of force from the shoulders, which obviously you don't want that to happen when you're stepping into the throw. But uh, when you're on the move, that's what you need to happen to generate that power. Um, and it's impressive. This is another play just on, on the run. Uh, there's a little you know, a, a smoke route to the, to the bottom of the screen here. He decides not to throw it uh, for whatever reason, throws the pump there. And then he climbs up in the pocket because of some pressure coming around the edges. So he has to step up to avoid some of it, even though maybe he didn't have to climb it as maybe he could have just took a couple of uh, steps here and didn't have to actually sprint towards where he was. But regardless, he climbs up in the pocket and throws a ball again with this is this is perfect location. That's you, you can't really get any better than that. Outstretched arms away from the defender uh, who's trailing in the back of the end zone. So it's again another, you know, what a 30 yard throw on the run, stepping up in the pocket yep. with the best location you can possibly have. Yeah, and I remember when you know we were doing this the last time. I was telling you the story that you know I was watching this game live and I was scouting Donald. And you know I'm an old school guy. I take notes, pen and paper. And this was a, a legitimate put the pen down moment because there aren't that many guys that can make this throw. I mean, this it's not the same, but it's reminiscent of that Kaepernick throw from the playoffs when he was with the 49ers a couple of years ago, where he made that jump throw into the uh. end zone to find. I believe it was Vernon Davis. It might have crapped you. I forget exactly who, but it was just a ridiculous, ridiculous throw. This is sort of similar where he's on the move, kind of coming towards a lot of scrimmage and makes not a full jump throw, but he's, his feet are off the ground, but he makes it. It's an impressive throw. And like you said, put in the absolute perfect spot. And this was early in the season when Texas looked to be good. This was a primetime game Saturday night. Everybody on the timeline was watching it. And then the whole timeline just exploded on Twitter when he made this throw. 
I'm sure, especially from from Jets fans and people who were looking to, uh, you know, to to draft him. And he's he's like like you said with his anticipation throws, with the ability to throw on the run, uh, with his location on the run. It's just it's 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 rare at times. And with those poor mechanics, you don't see a lot of quarterbacks. And that's like people are worrying about a lot about his mechanics, which it, it is a worry at times. We'll go over it uh, why it hurts him at times, but. His ability to make, like, let's say, ninety-five percent of good throws off those poor mechanics is what's really impressive about him. Because even if he does revert back to those bad mechanics, if he doesn't fully learn them in the NFL, hopefully he improves them fully or even a little bit. But um, if he still has some semblance of those bad mechanics, he can still make really good throws. Really, uh, so I'm 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 comfortable with him. It's not like he has bad mechanics in every single uh, time with those bad mechanics. He throws a really bad ball, you know. So I'm I'm impressed with that. No, definitely. And, you know, mechanics are always a work in progress. But with other quarterbacks, like how long have we been talking about Blake Bortles and his mechanics? They're yeah. set in stone, especially when you've been playing quarterback. Like, you know, when I ended my college career, I've been playing quarterback for, you know, 12 out of the 13 years I was playing football, basically. He's okay. been playing it for four, you know. And so mechanics, mine were ingrained. I would go out in the backyard behind me right now and I'd still throw a football the same exact way I used to because I've been doing it for over a decade. Not the same as Sam Darnold. And so it's not going to be a process where it's all set in stone. He can work and refine and, you know, tighten up those mechanics because it's not set in stone for him. Mm-hmm. We talked about it too, his ability to uh, stand tall in the pocket, willing to take a big hit. He showed some ice in his veins in some of those late, late game situations in 2017, which uh, is, is another impressive side. He's not going to crumble under pressure when he has to make a drive, you know, two-minute drive with no timeouts, that type of thing. So I think he's, uh, he's impressive in that. Uh, sense of his game we talked about his uh, ability to keep his eyes down the field he was asked to make full field reads at USC which I which I like he's able to go through those progressions pretty quickly uh, he's accurate quarterback his ball placement on the sidelines is he, I, I called it elite at times I don't know if you saw that too um, but I, I thought his 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 sideline placement was was pretty damn good um, yeah, it was. yeah so it's just and understanding where to throw it and maybe he could throw this ball he's looking you know it's another shotgun set it's a it's actually a four by one set um, and he's looking to the receiver who is isolated at the top of, uh, at the top of the screen. It's a little bit cut off. I should have, you know, maybe it was just the on YouTube what it was. But regardless, and he maybe could have thrown this where uh, leading him, but the receiver isn't squeezing him to the sideline again, just like that Bridgewater throw. Uh, he doesn't have his hands on him. He's not playing through the wide receiver, which you do if you don't have him squeeze to the sideline. So Donald recognizes that, and again just puts it in perfect location behind uh, behind and above that that cornerback's head. Yeah, and this is similar to that Bridgewater throw. And what's interesting about that is you're t- comparing, you know, a guy who's been playing quarterback for a while in the National Football League that's, you know, going to lead his team that season to a playoff game against a kid that's still learning how to play the position in college. And they're doing the exact same things. And, you know, Donald is a little bit quicker here with his decision. They must have liked this matchup if he got into this four-by-one empty set look and they got that matchup, that's where you're going to go with the ball. So he makes a, a quick decision, doesn't really look anybody off, but puts it in a perfect spot. Yeah, um, exactly. And in another play, too, we're talking about perfect spot here. Um, it's, it's his confidence in his arm, which sometimes it sometimes hurt him. And, again, it's, a, it's another it, – I don't have to say a gun set because they, they did it so much at, at USC. He, he, I don't think – did he ever take the ball from under – a snap from under center? Very though? rarely. Yeah. Very rarely. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it uh, because all, only plays I can get were like him on pass play. So maybe if he was handing the ball to the running yeah. back, he was playing under center. Um, but I don't remember any plays that I saw. So he's gonna have to learn that too. Timing with West Coast offense, taking the, the, the uh, drop back, you can learn that though. I'm, I'm confident he'll be able to do that. Um, but again, the the, com- the confidence in the arm here as he's rolling out to the right, 
and the uh, it looks like a corner's you know he's coming out on his his exit angle on this curl to flat zone. At least that's what it looks like, or maybe just in the flat. But um, he's underneath this receiver who's breaking out to the sideline on the out route. And Donald, he he only has what two and a half yards uh, of separation here, and he throws the ball again with good location again. So. Yeah, I mean, great throw along the boundary. You might have said, look, throw that deep curl route, that deep sit route that comes down about the 50-yard line. Yeah. But he trusts his arm. So there will be mistakes. It's sort of similar to Patrick Mahomes and what we're going to see from him this year as well. There are going to be times where he trusts his arm too much and makes mistakes. But I'm always of the mind that it's mm-hmm. easier to get a quarterback to be conservative. It's much harder to teach a quarterback to be aggressive. You know, and if a guy trusts his arm, he's willing to make these aggressive decisions, you can teach him to dial it back a bit. But it's much harder in football and in life to learn to be more aggressive. Okay, Mark, I'm sure you've seen this play. This is probably yeah. one of another drop-the-pen type moments. Yeah, for you yeah exactly right. So go ahead with this one. Yeah, I mean, this is just a ridiculous throw. I mean, you titled it Darnold Redick Throw, and I, I, don't, <laughs> I think it's the perfect – like. He's thrown it into triple coverage, but he puts it in the exact right spot. He lets this go from the plus 27, 28. So it's another 30-yard throw on a rope. There's nothing you can say about this. It's just this is video game stuff. Just, just for clarification, I'm not like a 13-year-old white girl where I call things ridiculous or, or type words like that. But it's just when I'm breaking down film, I got to, uh, I got to put it in quick. quickly. I got to be quick. Yeah, I got to be quick. I can't spend 40 hours on one play. Even though, honestly, Mark, there are some plays where I'm sure I'm, I'm sure this happens for you because you're, you're really, uh, you're technical too. You spend probably 10, 20 minutes just looking at one play. Uh, yeah. It takes a while. Whether it's trying to determine the coverage, whether it's trying to determine the route concept and what the quarterback's reads are supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, it can take a while. I mean, I remember when we did this the last time, I told you that I still have those Matt Bowen coverage you know, pieces that he wrote over at Bleacher Report years ago on how to tell the difference between cover four, cover one, cover three. You know, there are times when you can't tell or players are cut off on the screen, so you can't. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes it takes a while to break a play down. But this one, uh, yeah. you know, you just it might take you 10 minutes, but that's because you're just re-watching it over and over and over again. Yeah, well, yeah, this is a little bit more simple because it's not a bird's eye view. You can't really tell the coverage. I, I believe last time we were talking about, oh, yes, it's probably a Mills concept, and we got into a Mills concept that we like it, how that how that interior dig pulls the safety in either cover three or um, or even like a cover four look where it isolates the receiver on the with the uh, you know with with the cornerback on the outside who's matching that vertical stem. We talk about that. And even if it's like, it's, and it's sometimes, and obviously you know this, it's not even as simple as, you know, cover two, cover three, cover four. And we were talking about cover four and some of the different looks before uh, the last episode where you have, you know, cover four Zaro, cover four, uh, cover four push, or not cover four push, cover four cut. Then yeah. you have uh, the one I was thinking about before was cover four push. I remember we talked about it. And I couldn't remember it where basically on a three by one set, if the uh, receiver on the tight end on that on that you know side of the field where he's, where he's isolated, if he breaks outside that re- that uh, corner or that safety who is playing that side of the field of uh, you know that who's deep re- who's responsible for that middle fourth, um, he cuts uh, kind of a, as a robber on that right. three side. So that's why I, I forgot with the name of it. And it was cover four push, and I think that's a Matt Bowen article too, who, who yep. explains cover four push. So yeah, you have cover cover four Zara, cover four push, cover four cut. There's another uh, cover four box if you're playing like an in and out, uh, first yeah. in, first out type of deal. So there's so many different coverages, and that's what we're going to try to explain to you on the show, or at least I will, with some different guests like Schofield, who is he's really fantastic. So um, 
again, with Thorne, we'll move on to just a couple of some other things. We'll get into some weaknesses. He's not afraid to, th- uh, to throw it in to tight windows. Good timing on throws. He throws the ball with a great spiral. Um, and this is another play I'm going to bring up of his arm strength. And we've talked about this. It's not, it's not Josh Allen, uh, but, it is, but it is pretty damn strong at times. And we're going to uh, see this play here against uh, – is this, is this Wisconsin? I believe it's Wisconsin, uh, just from their jerseys. I don't have – yeah, oh, Stanford. Sorry, Stanford. Yeah. The white and red. I mixed it up there. Um, but, again, he's, take, he's taking the snap here from, from the gun set. And he's throwing it from option, uh, from from hash to the opposite numbers, and he's throwing it from the about the twenty yard line, nineteen yard line, and it travels all the way down to the you know twenty eight yard line of the, of of the uh, in Stanford territory. So that is well, a fifty yard, fifty plus yard throw right there. I'm not great at math, especially when the numbers are coming negative and stuff like that. Um, but again, just just great arm strength. We're, we're pretty good location as well. So yeah, and you know this comes with the right hash mark to the left top of the left numbers. So you know yeah. even though it goes you know thirty and then another almost thirty, so it's almost a sixty yard throw on the field. Remember, it's coming from the right hash mark to the left number, so it's traveling more than that. It's probably like sixty five, maybe even seventy depending on, you know, doing your math on the Pythagorean theorem if you want to, you know, really get technical. But this is a vertical shot that's deep down the field. I don't care if he puts it in the exact precise spot, you know, down to the inch. I want it to be catchable. And this is exactly where he puts it. The guy's beat, make it a catchable throw. And that's exactly what he does here. This is a fantastic throw. Yeah, it it is. Uh, And I would say it's probably about 53 yards uh, just in terms of, like, vertical distance. Yeah. Uh, from from in, in yardage marks but in terms of you know, that vertical plus the hard like you talk about all these theories and all this stuff you're like calculus and all this want to break it down but then he's throwing it at 53 yards but then it has to travel another what maybe like 15 yards this is almost like from horizontal plus vertical this is like a almost like a 65 yard throw yeah. um with with great location and it, it's not like it's a floater either it has some good zip on it um, so it's just, an, it's impressive. Where would you stack his arm up in this class? I know, I know, uh, I mean, it, Allen, you know, Allen was obviously there. Then I think yeah. you get into, you know, Baker and Donald are probably the next two, you know, looking at this class and then probably Rosen and then Lamar and on down the line. But, you know, I've always looked at Armstrong Joe as more of like a threshold. Like, do you have enough to be functional in the national football league? Given the fact that, look, you look at throws by distance last year. And I actually charted this out over at ITP. And some of the top quarterbacks in the league, at least in terms of adjusted yards per attempt or however you want to look at it, you know, Jared Goff, Alex Smith last year, 90 or 91% of their throws were 20 20 yards or less. I mean, Josh McCown, I think, you know, something like 87% of his throws were 20 yards or less. And so when you get beyond 20, yeah, you like a little bit of arm strength, but you're really talking about, you know, 10, 12% of what an offense does. And so if a guy can make all the big time throws in the shorter areas of the field, in the intermediate areas, and he does that, as long as that checks out, I'm not too worried about arm strength. It's great to have it. It makes the difference on, you know, some scheme stuff like Coriel offenses, but it's not a necessity. It's more of a threshold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a great way to explain it. And this play, um, it's, we only got a couple more strengths we'll go through and then we'll go through some of the weaknesses and we'll close it out. Um, but you know, Mark, you want to take us through, through, uh, through this play. This is probably, I would say this is probably his most impressive run of the season against Washington state. But, you know, like I say, he, he, just to explain it simply, if you're not watching on YouTube, there's a blitzer through the, uh, through the a gap, uh, the yep. linebacker and he, he's avoiding, he, he's rolled out to the right, takes, he takes a pretty nice cut there for, for a quarterback. Yep. He, dro- he drops his, hip, his hips there. 
um, sets himself up well, and then he's rolling up in the pocket, breaks it, you know, sets up his uh, angles well, avoids two tacklers, breaks a tackle. So what are your thoughts on this play? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where it's kind of like Willie Mays Hayes in the first major league. That was great. Don't ever do it again. You know, yeah. because you don't want to see your first round, you know, third overall selection take a lot of shots like this because, you know, the great change of direction in the backfield, he does take that shot there right when he gets back to the line of scrimmage, but he basically mm-hmm. bounces off of it. So he breaks the tackle there. You know, at this point, now you've taken one hit, just get down because he takes, you know, another hit near the end of it. But still, you know, this is one of those plays, though, where if you're his teammate, if you're his center or his tight end or something, or if you're a guy on the defensive side of the ball watching from the sidelines, you see your quarterback doing stuff like that, you want to go out and make a play, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, I think it was Mark Sanchez, who is not – I hope he's not comparable guy to – I shouldn't even say that on this show because they're both from USC right. and you know how fans are with that. But uh, this, is, uh, this is another – this is just a read option, and just like a simple insight – or actually, yeah, it's a, it's a read option play. Uh, with some pullers from from the backside, uh, he's reading this defensive end who's crashing down. Who obviously is crashing down, so he pulls the ball. And again, he he's picking up what? Uh, let's 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 count this from the uh, let's just say it's the ten yard line. You know, it's the nine yard line, but uh, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five, almost forty yard. Let's call it yep. forty yard run here on a read option. So, it, like I said, he's not Michael Vick, but he does have some legs on him. So. Yeah, I mean, and the important thing here is he's, he's athletic enough that he's going to keep that backside defensive end on honest on plays like this. And so he's going to have to stay home. You know, that will free up the ground game as well. So if the Jets do implement stuff like this, and I think they will, yeah. you know, he's going to help them. You know, and he's going to help the running game, but all sorts of trickles down. Well, the and the Jets, um, they weren't like – they weren't the Eagles in terms of RPOs where they ran it a lot, but the Jets yeah. did actually run – I think they were in the top 10 in RPOs last year. So they did run some, some uh, RPOs. And this is just a play, a simple play. Uh, just of showing his ability to, to roll out to the left, which is for obvious reasons, it, it's hard to roll out to the left and throw um, with your right arm. It's just, it's, it's hard. Some people just can't do it in, in general. And again, uh, just great accuracy on the move, rolling out to his left, which is it's an impressive trait because you, you, then you yep. have the ability to, to play action, roll out to the right, play action, roll out to the left, and it opens up your playbook. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a huge fan of you know, context to a given play, and this comes on a second and 14 midway through the fourth quarter of a tie game. You know, this isn't happening in the first quarter on the opening drive. You know, this is a gutsy type of throw dropped in the bucket on the move to the left in the fourth quarter of a tied game, and that's what you want to see from a quarterback. Yeah, so one, one more strength of, of, of his, then we'll get into the, uh, the, the weaknesses. But just – um, and this is the stuff that really stood out to me. I'm sure if you really, like, broke down the film and went through uh, – actually have a 75 play review I believe of him where I go through some more stuff obviously but pocket awareness to look off safeties just like McCown he'll isolate some one versus one opportunities pre-snap good shoulder torque what I talked about uh when he sees receivers open I believe it was was it you who mentioned this uh who when he when he sees a receiver open he quickly hitches and gets rid of the ball which is important I was that you yeah. Mark I think so yeah yeah so I and and it's and it's true too you, you have to be able to get rid of that ball uh quickly when you see the receiver open because College or windows close quickly, and in the NFL they close even even quicker. So you need to be able to do that. Uh, last strength that we'll talk about, he has that it factor. So I'm not sure if you remember this play uh, versus Texas, but if you want to uh, take us through through this play, yeah, I mean, you know, this was, you know, you get the blitz here, and it looks like he's got to go to his hot receiver because you've got that you know zero blitz type look from a, a defense. You've got your running back out of the backfield isolated against a linebacker who's not good in coverage and space. You're pressured. 
and you sometimes just have to make it work. If it looks ugly, who cares? That's what he does here. This little like jump throw to his running back who's isolated on a downhill thumper type of linebacker. This is the matchup you want to throw. This is your heart read and the zero blitz situation. Just get it to him. Who cares what it looks like? You know, what does this look like? It's a 30-yard gain in the scorebook. Nobody cares what it looks like. You know, nobody's going to look back at this and say, oh, well, you know, style points don't count for extra. Just get it to the guy. And he does a great job of that here. Yeah, and now we're going to get into some of, the, some of the weaknesses. And, again, this is just the ability to, one, pocket awareness, stuff coming up in the pocket. The, uh, he's not able to step up fully because the center is getting pushed back a little bit. And he jumps. He's literally jumping in the air. Both of his, arm, both, both of his feet are not making contact with the ground. And throws a, pretty, a perfect ball to this to this uh, yeah. to this uh, you know running back coming out of the back loop beats that linebacker so that's that it factor that, that we talk about but let's get into the weaknesses his weaknesses are really they stand out a lot he doesn't have like he has a good amount like not a ton of them but the, his weaknesses <clears throat> they stand out a lot because he you see them a lot so he needs to fix some things that are like big time uh, weaknesses and and one of those weaknesses is. Uh, he, he throws the ball into the traffic. He, he asks himself to make the perfect throw way, way too much. And I would say out of those 13 interceptions, let's say maybe nine or 10 of them were because of that. So, yeah. and, and my worry with that is, or kind of my thoughts on that more than, than a worry is I like that. It's not interceptions on simple concepts on a, you know, a, a slant flat concept where, where, where it's easy. Uh, you know, if the, if there's nobody in a hook zone with the slant, hit the slant, if he has good position, that, that slant carries the, the uh, hook zone defender, maybe the flat defender, uh, works as a, as a natural pick for that flat route. Um, so it's like an easy read. It's an in and out read. It's, it's easy. Um, but he's making throws. It, the interceptions that he's making or, or that he has or had in, in at USC were more, you know, screw it. I could, I could fit the ball in this window. Um, yeah. So your, I guess your overall thoughts on that, and we'll get it. Yeah, and that sort of gets us back to the point I was making earlier where I'm okay with him making these mistakes of the aggressive sort. You know, if he's going to be overly conservative and still make mistakes, you know, that's sort of a problem because you can always – I think it's easier for a guy to learn to be more conservative and say, okay, no, just throw your check down. You know, we can punt on third down. We can, I mean, we can punt on fourth down. We can get off the field on fourth down if we have to, let our defense go out and make a play. But if you put us in a bad situation, give the other team a short field, that's a problem. And so I think guys can learn that. And we see it here where, you know, throw that swing route. You know, maybe that's covered. It's third and six. Throw that swing route. Maybe the guy makes a move. Maybe he doesn't. It's like that Bridgewater play we started off with where he, you know, could have thrown the post, but instead he throws the, the check down and gets him into a, a fourth and one decision time. Here, he's got this swing route at the top of the screen. Yeah, there's a defender there, but he can make a move. Instead, he tries to throw this, you know, corner route deep downfield with pressure at his feet, and there are two defenders in the way. You know, this is one of those moments where you got to learn yeah. to just take what they give you. If you have to punt or whatever, fine. But at least you're not giving the team the ball, you know, put your defense back out on the field. Yeah, and it, even the game situation too, you know, second quarter, six minutes left, third and six, you're, you're up seven points to Stanford. Even if that swing route, you know, like you said, even if it is a swing route, he can make a move or not that swing route. If he, if he doesn't like it because he, look, he checks to the left there and, you know, there's a defender over top, so he doesn't want to throw it. Throw the ball out of bounds. Even yeah, just throw it away. Like, you, know, you know, hit your dad in the stands. Like that's what you got to do sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So it's just he 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 can't make those throws in in the NFL. It's like one of the, the worries I have. And then I'm gonna bring up a play, and I forget I forget exactly what this one is. But uh, oh, actually, I do remember. So I'd bring it up here. Um, and this is just this is an inexcusable throw. I remember you broke down all the all the the plays. So you remember this, but he rolls out to the right. There's some interior pressure. 
Uh, he avoids tackles, which yeah, that, that's that's good, and he shows some nice ability to 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 run um, to run away from some pressure here, which is good. But I don't even really know what he's what he's looking at on this play, Mark. Yeah, neither do I, because as we let this go, he does a great job extending and getting out. It's a third and eight, so I understand, you know, your desire to make a play downfield. He's not going to run for a first down here because he's like 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage, you know. But again, you're down three, seven, just under eight minutes to go in the first quarter. You don't need to be a hero here. He tries to throw it with three defenders basically in the path of this ball. There's one, two, and then a third guy who's in great position to make the play. And so it's almost – it's like a 1% chance that pass gets completed. I understand mm-hmm. how he's got the confidence in his arm that he thinks he can make that 1% type throw. But this one in this situation, I think it's much too early in the game to force a throw like that. No, and even if you have perfect location on that on that ball, you're going to have to get lucky for that defender yeah. to miss that ball or just yeah. to, to just not jump. Like it, he's in perfect position. So even if you do make it, there's just no way. There's, really, there's no way you're making that throw. So um, – and again, and on this play, the next play, another gun set. Uh, and they're running a, a smash concept to the top of, to the top of the screen, which is again just a just a high low read. And he has this this uh, and it's again for you know game situation, uh, first and fifteen. So you don't have to get it all in one play. You're up four against Utah. Um, you know time winding down in the, in the first half. Take take this hitch route right here. Um, get some get some extra you know get some yards. And then it's you know what uh, third and third and or, or second and six. And you have two more plays to try to get a first down here. You have plenty of time, even though you don't have any timeouts. And instead of um, throwing this hitch route, he drifts out to the left. One, he's, he doesn't have a good base that he's throwing from. He's drifting out to the left. Um, and he uh, he just tries to make a perfect throw again from not a good base. Just yeah. take, the, take the yards given to you. You're staring at this at this corner route, which sometimes he, do, he, he does that a little bit. Not too, too much, but you can't stare at this route and, and expect this corner underneath um, to not jump it. So. Yeah, and you know I'm with you. I, I would have liked to have seen him take the hitch route. I can understand why he throws the corner here because again, it's a smash concept, and that corner does kind of hang yeah. on that hitch route a little bit. So there is a window, but I'd much prefer him making that throw from a strong, solid base. If he's going to make this decision, you got to make the throw from a good base. Once he starts drifting, then I think you just got to throw that hitch route there. And what's interesting about this play is they're winning right now by four. The first play we looked at of Darnold, there's a Hail Mary situation at the end of this game because they're trailing and they need a miracle to win it. And so this is one of those things where sometimes you make a decision early in the game, it can have an effect later in the game. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, even even if like, you know, or maybe on that on that hitch route, he throws the pump to keep that corner, you know, hanging over it and not dropping back. You know, maybe he yeah. maybe he, he takes a step or four or, or, or two forward and then it opens up that that uh, corner route. So right. Again, and this is another one. This was a bad one against against Notre Dame. This is like two, two, he had two or three bad interceptions. You just can't throw. The other ones I could understand, even though you don't want them. There's too much aggressiveness. Hope maybe you can hone that back a little bit. But it's it's a, it's a flat seven concept here. Getting another simple high load type of read on the on the sideline. Uh, he the game I forget what the game situation here, Mark. You might have you might remember. Um, but the flat uh, here. It's first and ten. Like it's here right there. It's first and ten yeah. on the screen. Um, I believe they were down in this game. But take that flat route. Make it a more manageable second down, second and you know seven, second and six to open up the playbook a little bit more because coaches do break down plays from like, you know first and ten and then second or, or and then uh, second and seven and then third and three. Obviously, you have different plays in the playbook, so then you open up a little bit more of your playbook there uh, for a shorter yard situation. Take the flat route. Don't throw that 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 uh, that seven because there is a defender right underneath it and he's in a great position to make a play again. So. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you said it perfectly. I mean, just take that flat route. Get yourself into second and six, second and five. That's fine. You get the ball, you know, in Notre Dame territory. Yeah, you're probably trailing at this point because they do lose this game. And, you know, it kind of gets out of hand at some point, I think. But this is a throw just take what they give you. Sometimes that's, you know, we've kind of been touching around this with Darnold. Sometimes you're just yeah. going to take what the defense gives you. And this is uh, – this. Uh, we actually even mentioned this. This is another step in the bucket too where yep. you see it here where instead of, like I said, with that front foot, you want to drive it towards the target where you want the ball to go. And he's stepping towards the sideline. So your foot is – your hips are – you know, or your foot is working towards the sideline where your, your arm wants to throw the ball up the field. It's just you're, – you're fighting your own body there yep. um, with those mechanics as well. So you, he just – he can't make – he can't make that throw. Yeah, that's um, a great point about the hip. Y- yeah, so – Moving on, though, we'll get into uh, his bad footwork, which I just mentioned, and we'll show a couple plays of it because this is, this is what I said, other biggest problem. He forced himself to make the perfect throw there, drifting towards the sideline. Uh, feet are basically aligned towards the sideline, so it's just it's not good. And this was a play that you broke down really well on your, uh, on your YouTube channel here where, again, drops back, step in the bucket. Maybe this out route is open down the field. It's a hard. It's not necessarily an easy, easy throw, but the, the wide receiver does have some room where if the ball is in good location, he could have hit it there. Um, but you see the step in the sideline, step in the bucket again. Hips are even towards the sideline, like parallel, not parallel. They're they're parallel towards each other, towards the sideline, not parallel with the sideline. But um, it's again, you're fighting your own body there. He doesn't generate enough power on this on this ball, and the uh, cornerback who is playing, you know, off is able to drive underneath it and make an interception. Yeah, and, and you know, to add insult to injury, he stares this down basically the entire way. You know, he takes a snap and he, you know, he's looking at this route. The corner's playing off, but he just reads the break. And yeah, you know, the the step is towards the sideline. His hips are basically parallel to the line of scrimmage when he lets this go. That's not the way to throw this route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep out or an out or even like a comeback, you need to really drive that ball towards the. Uh, you towards know, towards, the target, yeah. Yeah, towards the target because the window's closed fast. And there's some plays where we see him, uh, you know, do that. But you just can't – his footwork hurts him at times. It's not all the time, but we, we're going to – another play here we're going to show us uh, some of that footwork. Let me extend a little bit here. Um, takes, takes a snap from another gun set, and he's looking towards the left. And let me move this up. Um, again, he's dr- – so his foot – it's another step in the bucket where you want yep. your foot driving towards the target. So if you want the ball – to go here, you want your foot to drive there. You know, you want right. your, so you so you're generating as much power. You want to link your your hips and your and your upper body, but unfortunately, it doesn't do that. Like I said, the, your 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 lower body is working towards the sideline. Your your the throw wants to work towards the middle of the field. So yeah, it's going to be somewhere in the middle of that. So sideline middle of the field is going to end up. You know, like I said, in between that, and that's where the ball does end up, where it's a little bit behind the wide receiver, where the wide receiver has room on this, uh, you know, it's an in-breaking route. It's uh, called a post. It looks like a post where he is on the field. Um, so he has position on this defensive back, and he's, he's pretty open. He's, he, has, yep. he has a yard on him. So, again. This is potentially six, but by stepping in the bucket, he turns himself into an arm thrower. The pass is behind, and it starts to dip a little bit, and the defender is able to recover. You know, if he steps into this and drives into this, this is potentially six that comes off the board. And then I want to talk about a little bit about that that windmill release mark. I think he does have like – so, and this is another thing they broke down at Sports Science. People should really uh, check it out. From the point that he releases – where he starts his throwing motion, where, where he releases uh, his front, um, you know, hand from the ball, that's when it starts. So from so, so from that point to when the ball gets to the target, he actually has pretty good um, time on that. But it takes his release from, I would say, I, I think it could be really good to where it's just good. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, so it, it would cut down a, you know, a tenth of a second there, which matters a lot. But you see that dip where you want the ball to come up directly um, to his shoulder there, but instead it dips down that. It's not as like extreme as Brett Favre when he was playing, um, but it does take that split second off of his, uh, off of his uh, release there. So Game of inches. They all matter. Yeah, exactly. And that dip down just takes some more time for him to, to release from the ball. So just a couple more and then we'll we'll be done. We talk about that windmill release. He clutches too much at times. He doesn't trust his eyes. Um, and then this is the fumbling problem, which I couldn't get plays of. I don't know if you can get play, like a lot of plays of the fumbling, but uh, he carries the ball too too loosely in, in the pocket. And we see it here. Um, what's, what's Washington State? This is Washington State? Yeah, yeah. Washington State. Um, you need you need to carry the ball with two, with two, with two hands here when you're, when you're you're trying to scramble out of the pocket or just get away from this defender. Uh, when you're when you're holding the ball like a loaf of bread, especially in the NFL with the torque they're going to generate with their tackle swinging you around, you're not. It's going to be hard to throw to hold onto the ball. And, and this is the problem we saw with him, uh, whether it be from from t- uh, the impact uh, making the ball uh, come out or you know the defender swiping at it. Uh, you know you just can't do this. Yeah. And, you know, that's, you know, one of those minor little things, but it matters. I mean, you watch like a guy like Andrew Luck, once he gets back on the field and he's, whenever he's moving around in the pocket, he always has that left foot, that left hand, excuse me, like glue to the football here. I mean, it's just the ball is extended away from him. You know, he's, as he starts to run, you can see he wants to just, you know, have the ball away from his body. You can't do that. You've got to secure it because if you take a sack here, that's fine. Like, this is an unblocked defender. Some of them get messed up on the protection. If you get sacked here, okay. If you get sacked and lose the football and the defense is coming out of the field, that's worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and just and just to kind of pull it loosely in the pocket, there's so many defenders in the NFL who are going to swipe at that ball and get a, and make uh, generate a lot of fumbles for you. So, like you said with Andrew Luck, that's a good example. I didn't think about him, but you always see him. Yeah. With the ball tight to his chest, with his arms down parallel to his or you know, parallel to his side, holding it really the ball really tightly. Because what is the point of of kicking your arm off this? Unless you're going to try to stiff, you're going to try to stiff arm the defender. Um, so yeah, it's just I, it's, not with a, not a guy with a running head start. No, no, exactly. Uh, who's free up? What was it? The a gap. Uh, yeah. I think there's times where he holds onto the ball too long as well, uh, or he, where he doesn't throw the ball away. There's sometimes I would like to see him throw the ball away, just like that that play we saw before. We didn't throw the swinger at, at least throw the ball away we only have two more weaknesses to get into here then we'll, we'll wrap up mark like you said we really appreciate the time from you uh but did you see the issue with him staring down receivers too much like did you see it a lot did you see it a little bit we showed it before you mentioned it but uh yeah i mean he he does it i wouldn't say it's like an overwhelming concern at this point because i think like he, he does a pretty good job at times working through progression reads but with all young quarterbacks it's certainly something you got to watch yeah and, and on this play i remember you breaking this down as well and he and he and he steps up in the pocket you pointed out that maybe you'd like to see him, um, you know, cut up the field more here with uh, when he's stepping up in the pocket. But you know, unfortunately, he he drifts to the right here again, not throwing from a good base, which he does a lot. He makes good throws, but when you're when you have to make the perfect throw, you don't want to see that because um, obviously it's just you, you're not uh, you know you're not throwing from a, uh, from a perfect base. You can't generate as much power as accuracy. Uh, but again, he drops back here. He's he's pretty much he's I think he's, yeah he's staring down this uh, receiver whoever yeah. it is. And uh, he draws this underneath defender to the to the receiver. The underneath defender tips the ball, makes a really nice play, uh, and gets the interception here. Because you know, one again, we see that a lot of this pop up in one play. One of all of his weaknesses, uh, he's staring down a receiver, um, and he's making himself to he's forcing himself to uh, make that perfect throw again. So yeah, and again, here you get second and eight. You're in plus territory at the plus thirty-seven. It looks like. 
when he starts to climb, yeah, you've got eight, that flat defender on the swing route. But again, you could throw that swing route and the guy could make a play. Or you've got that boundary route because this looks to be sort of a, you know, looks like a kind of a vertical concept here where you've got that slot seam, you've got that hitch route, corner route. I mean, excuse me, a curl right along the boundary. That's the defender who peels off, the guy that's covering that curl. So maybe you could throw that curl yeah. on the screen there, but you could throw that too. So it seems like he had better options here. Instead, he tries to make that perfect throw, and he gets in trouble again. Yeah, and then one more um, to, to, you know, to break down. It's just you can't – is there hope for him, Mark, to, to cut that down in the NFL? Do you see that a lot? Because I, like you said, and like many people said, I've said it before, I'd rather have him be aggressive than too timid and not willing to throw the, throw those balls. Uh, but do you think he's, he's going to be able to cut that down? I think so. And a lot of that is going to have to go to coaching. I mean, there might have to be times, and we saw this, you know, with, with a guy like Drew Brees and Matt Waldman, you know, has a great piece ruining quarterbacks where he talks about how Schottenheimer, how Marty Schottenheimer handled Drew Brees. And there were times when, you know, they pulled him out of games because they saw that things were getting out of control. He was starting to make too many mistakes you got to sometimes sit him down and say, look, I'm doing this to protect you. There might be times where given his sort of mentality, his urge to make those aggressive throws, where if he plays early and makes mistakes like that, where Todd Bowles, where, you know, Jeremy Bates are going to have to sit him down and say, look, you can't force things like this. You've got to learn to be less aggressive, be a little bit more conservative. And that's one way that they help make him learn. I have confidence that they'll be able to do that and identify those situations because let's face it, they're not Hugh Jackson who completely mishandled Deshaun Kaiser, but that's a story for locked on Browns and not turn on the Jets film room. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and what do you think about this? This is the last play that we're going to break down. I did, um, I think it was, yeah, no, two weeks ago, I, I did some other plays because there's a lot of plays where uh, he's making great anticipation throws or poor plays. We broke down some more, but uh, like I said, we had to go through all three quarterbacks. But this is another, um, you know, RPO. And I think what I think, in my opinion, what happens here is he he sees he sees this corner here uh, with outside leverage on the slot. Yeah. So he, I'm not sure if he knows it's, it's a middle of the field uh, open look. So maybe he's assuming it's like a cover two or whatever it may it may be. But he, this corner is not in position to make a play on the ball and the inside breaking route. You know, the slant here. And then he sees that the safety is off, so he sees that uh, pre-snap, uh, pre which is good. Um, so he's assuming he's going to throw this ball to the slant, but post-snap, after he keeps the ball, you gotta you got to check the safety. The safety drives down hard on that. Uh, okay, yeah, I used to call it a slant. It's a little, it's a little bit uh, – but I'll just call it a slant. Um, he drives down on it. He has to make this, this – this, uh, you know, this read post snap. Unfortunately, he doesn't and throws an interception. This is just this is another yeah. inexcusable one. Yeah, I mean, I remember you know when this play happened live. I actually immediately recorded it and did a quick video of it for the ITP YouTube page. And you know, okay. it's exactly right. You know, it's an RPO. It looks to be slants tag. You know, we've got the two slants coming along. It might be hitch. You know, to be fair, he gets a doesn't get a lot of help from number eighty here, who could have fought back for this football. But yeah, yeah, I think what they saw pre snap, like you said, you see that bubble. It looks to be a too high look. You're that inside receiver. It looks like you're going to work into that free space behind that linebacker who does come. But they rotate the coverage, and that guy drops down from the safety spot right into that lane. It's like they knew the play that was coming. He gets himself into that throwing window to take away that route from number three, whether it's a hitch or a slant. Really kind of tough to tell given how he kind of half runs it here. And Darnold misses it. Yeah, that's you know, This is one of those things yeah. where you know, you got to confirm it. He just assumes that, oh, this is the look I'm getting. That's the look that I'm going to see post-snap. He assumes it's going to be open. You can't assume anything, whether it's in life or in, you know, making an RPO read on the football field. 
Yeah, um, and and that's good. On that on that route, like sometimes it's hard to tell routes because receivers run them so poorly. So is, is it is it a is it a hitch? Is it a snag? Is it is it a sit? Like like I don't I don't really know. Is it, is yeah, it a I mean, what, what's interesting is you know their offensive co- you know their head coach you know, gave a presentation at the Nike Coaching Clinic on their RPO stuff, and they've got two. They've got hitch tag. They've got slant tag. You know, I've seen them run both. I've written about both. I, I, it's hard to tell which one. It kind of runs a, a mesh between the hitch and the slant, so it's really yeah. tough to tell. So, you know, you know, I, I think the wide receiver should get dinged a little bit too. But, you know, from Donald's perspective, you can't just assume that, you know, the coverage you're going to get post-snap is the same that you see pre-snap. Okay, and then to, to, to wrap it up, do you, you know, after looking at his film, do you think he's worth the number three pick in the, in the trade-up yeah. mark? I mean, I, I still think he was worth a first-round pick. I still think he was worth trading up for because of the premium that you have to pay to go get your guy and the fact that this is a quarterback-driven you know, driven league and you either got a guy or you're trying to get a guy. and You'd much rather be the team that has a guy, and that's what they think they've got in him. Are there mistakes and flaws that he needs to fix? Of course, but you're going to see that with all rookie quarterbacks. I think because of the context to his career, because of the – a developmental arc that I think is in place for him, I think it's going to be an easier path for him to become the quarterback people hope he's going to be than it is for, you know, a Josh Allen who's been playing the position longer, even for a guy like a Josh Rosen, you know, who I preferred in this class. You know, you might see a little bit more of a ceiling to a Sam Darnold, whereas Rosen might have, say, perhaps a higher floor to him because of where he is right now as a passer as opposed to where Darnold is. But I think he was a great pick. I'm confident that the Jets are going to be able to, you know, work with him, develop him, and make him into the guy that he could be. As a Patriots fan, I'm frustrated because I know that now we're going to get, you know, maybe eight to ten years of competent, good quarterback play from the New York Jets. But as a fan of quarterbacks and wants to see them succeed, I'm excited about his potential and his future. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And then I, I really am excited. Like I said, he was my number one quarterback before the Jets drafted him. I have proof of that, so I'm not just being biased there. I really do like him for what he did at 21 years old or 20 years old last year. Uh, some of those the strengths we talked about, and I think those those weaknesses are pretty fixable. Um, just moving on, last couple things: sit or start. What do you what do you think happens with that? Do you think he sits, starts the year? I mean, I, I think he sits to start the year, and I kind of look at you know. It's always hard to sort of look at him, project out, you know, from a scheduling standpoint, you know, and a lot of people might say, oh, you know, the bye week, that's a good time to like give him two weeks to get ready while you're coming out of the bye to play the Patriots. I don't know if that's what you want to do, but I look to sometime in that October, November timeframe, and maybe it's week five, because what's interesting about the Jets schedule is you've got three out of your first four games are on the road. You've got that week four game to close out September at Jacksonville. Not sure you want him going up against that pass defense. But then you get three straight home games. Home games against Denver, home game against Indianapolis, home game against Minnesota, who, yeah, they're coming off an NFC Championship game run and they have a good defense themselves. But three straight home games might be a nice little stretch to get him into the starting lineup, allow him to become acclimated to life as a starting quarterback in the NFL with three straight home games. Then you can deal with the road stuff. Again, you know, the bye week might be a good time to, you know, make that transition. You would have to come off and, you know, make your debut against Bill Belichick and the Patriots and what they do defensively. And then two road games against Tennessee and Buffalo. That might be a tougher time to do it. But, you know, those might be two potential times to get him on the field. Yeah, and I don't know if you agree with with me with this. And uh, his mechanics are, I, I think, the biggest issue. Well, obviously, yeah, he has to get the playbook down and all that stuff. But uh, those mechanics, I feel like they're like ninety percent fixed by the by week one. You don't want to just throw them. You don't want to just throw them in there. I'd rather have them completely fixed before you throw them in there because if he is only ninety percent fixed, 
he reverts back to those bad mechanics when, you know, shit hits the fan. Yeah. So I'd rather have them completely fixed. That's my opinion. So yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, he should play this at some point this year. He should start at some point this year. And, you know, unless, you know, if the Jets somehow rattle off six, seven straight wins to start the season and you're thinking playoffs, then maybe you do something differently. But I I think the long-term approach is the one that makes the most sense, which is get him onto the field, get him some starting experience, handle it the right way. If you have to pull him to prevent him from making some mistakes, if games start to get out of hand, then fine. But don't ruin him, ease him in, knowing that year two, similar to what we saw with Patrick Mahomes in his timetable, is going to be the right one. Okay, last question. Um, what, who do you think he compares to? We talked about this last time, so I know your thoughts, but just tell people. Uh, yeah, that. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think we kind of put out there the Tony Romo comparison, and I think that is a valid comparison to make. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the things they do inside and outside of the pocket, you know, some of the gunslinger type mentality where you're willing to make some more aggressive throws that other quarterbacks might not make, I think that's an apt comparison, and I think it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, playmaking ability, the movement in the pocket, throwing on the run, uh, keeping his eyes downfield. Uh, hopefully he doesn't have the injuries like Tony Romo did because that really derailed his career where I think Tony Romo is actually a little bit overlooked in my in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a Giants fan or anything like that, so I don't have to crap on Tony Romo. Right. Um, but, Margie, we really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, where can people follow you on you know, Twitter and tell them about all your work? You know, I, I know you do like 30,000 articles and all this stuff all the time, so I'm sure there's a lot of things that people can check out. Yeah, and Joe, again, thanks for having me on, man. This has been a blast. People want to find me, easiest way to do that is on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. You can check out the work over at InsideThePylon.com. Locked on yeah. Patriots, where I'm the host of that show. You can check out the work with I'm doing with Matt Waldman, MattWaldmanRSP.com. I'm doing some stuff over at Steelers Depot, doing some stuff for SB Nation and Big Blue View, the giant site. Going to be rolling out some more projects as well, including returning to do some stuff over at Pro Football Weekly, where I'm happy to be a contributor over there, as well as thescore.com. I'm going to be a features writer for the NFL over there as well. And one more thing, actually two more things that are still in the works that I'll be announcing, one of which I'm a return gig to the Minnesota Rivals website. If anybody out there is a Minnesota Golden Gophers fan, I break down some scheme stuff for them as well. But yeah, one more thing in the works too, which is yet to be announced. But going to be a busy fall, but hey, we love what we do. Yeah, I, I don't know how you do that. Uh, I'm just doing practice right now and trying – I think I did 53 breakdowns on like players and getting their film – because uh, like I said, next week we're having um, you know McMillan on. I don't know how you do that for all those teams. We got to pull you to turn on the Jets sometime and just write some stuff for us too. Why not? You know, hell, you've done yeah, it for just another for, gig, man. Yeah, why not? You already got you already got you're already on ten websites and doing all this stuff. But like you said, uh, you're you're one of the best out there for 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 coverages, for schemes, for for new innovations that they're bringing from college to to the NFL for you know breakdowns on like why throwbacks and things like that uh, on your inside the pylon. You guys have. You know, if people who are listening to the show, it's obviously film-based. So if you want to learn these things and exactly what they mean, uh, the coverages and all that stuff, go to go to there. He talks about concepts like, you know, the drive concept, Mills concept, NCAA concept, Yankee concept, tear, dagger, mesh, scissors, spot, all this stuff. You can learn it all there. Uh, what coverage it works best against, what it does, what the reads are and all that stuff. So um, Mark is fantastic. So Mark, like I said, we, we really appreciate you having you on and uh, – Hopefully we can hear from you again soon. Uh, you know, maybe after a couple of Donald's games or maybe after the season, we can break down some more of Donald's film together. That'd be, that'd be pretty fun. That'd be fantastic show. Anytime you need me, buddy, you know where to find me. Yeah. And just to close it out, um, you know, obviously thank you for listening to the third edition of turn on the jets film room. We'll be back 
next Wednesday with um, McMillan, like I said, a former defensive rookie of the year, two-time pro bowler for the Jets. We'll be breaking down the entire Jets secondary on film. Uh, really, really appreciate everybody for listening. Really appreciate Mark. Make sure you go check him out. Follow us on TOJ Film Room on the podcast app and on Turn on the Jets uh, on YouTube. Subscribe there. Watch the videos. I uh, really appreciate that. And keep leaving reviews and things like that. We got a couple this week, so we appreciate that. Uh, thank you. See you next week.